BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. I don't know what kind of week it's been for you, but uh, for the NFL, man, think about the week that the NFL just had and is about to have this weekend. You go from Monday night football and the scene on Monday night all the way fast-forwarding through the week where the uh, the emphasis becomes about DeMar Hamill. And uh, today, the, another encouraging news report as he is communicating with his teammates and his family and, uh, you know, Roger Goodell. He said it. He said uh, it's that you know Demar Hamill in the news uh, today and yesterday lifted, lift, lifted the uh, lifted the spirits of the league. Hamlin, sorry, I keep saying Hamill. Uh, you talk about you talk about good stories. You talk about redemptive stories. I think Hamlin is a great one, and the NFL great story this week. But man, did it start scary. And now it will pivot over the weekend toward playoff implications. And I'm really curious to see kind of how the football looks and feels, given that, you know, on Monday night we saw it uh, a game get canceled and ambulances on the field. Uh, I want to talk NFL in today's show. It's why we're having Mike Yam of the NFL Network on. He's going to be joining us to talk about, uh, obviously, DeMar Hamlin and – He'll be talking about the Bills and the uh, Bengals and the Niners and the Eagles and who's playing for what this weekend. Jalen Hurts of the Eagles uh, listed as questionable for Sunday's game. The New York Giants are already saying that they're going to rest players on Sunday. I don't even know. Like, Stephen and Peter, do you even do you even bother to wager games on this kind of weekend? Or do you kind of look at the schedule and go, you know, do you treat it like bowl season a little bit and go, who's playing for what? And, uh, you know, let's let, let's uh, lean towards the teams that are that have big stakes. Yeah, I think it's more of a stay away week. Um, but I will say, John, there are some situations where both teams have nothing to play for. And in those situations, I would lean heavily just the more the more uh, crazy outcomes. Right. Like, I think the 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 um, the margin of outcome is so different, like the underdogs could actually win those games. I think those are a good spot. You go underdogs in those games, but if it's one team that has something to play for, one team that doesn't, it's hard to say who's going to be motivated for that. It's it's mostly a stay away for me. Uh, but of course, you know, as a degenerate like I am, I have some games I like. <laughs> I saw you tweet the other night. You you said you you had like eight college games that you were looking at. In I college upped it, basketball. I did. It was last night. I upped it to eleven by the end of the night. What are you doing? What are you, I don't know. I went you? five five and one. Not terrible. Not bad. I mean, it's an L on the night, but uh, five five and one. I'm, I'll you, take it. You are entertained. I'll yeah, say that. Exactly. Peter, you stay away or are you looking for opportunities? Uh, I am not a degenerate enough gambler. I'm staying away. I mean, there might be some opportunities out there if you look for it. But honestly, like the NFL, I do okay, uh, you know, betting on the NFL. But generally, it's the NBA where even pointless games I can personally find value. I want to I ask Mike Yam of the NFL Network about Patrick Mahomes and some of the guys that are playing for stakes. And, uh, for people who don't know, Patrick Mahomes is closing in or on uh, the single-season NFL record for passing yards. Peyton Manning holds the record, 5,477 passing yards. Patrick Mahomes is 430 yards away from breaking Peyton Manning's single-season record. And, in fact, on DraftKings, 
I looked it up just to see if you could get a, you know a wager on that. You can. It's six and a half to one that he'll get to uh, 430 passing yards. Now, you know he's done it five times in his career, but also Kansas City is in a situation where you know they're thinking playoffs and they're thinking seeding. So I don't know how concerned they're going to be. And I'm going to ask Mike Yam about that coming up. The Chiefs are playing at the Raiders. How? tuned in are the teams to those milestones how important is that stuff like we talked yesterday on the show about um the idea that uh steph curry and the warriors they went 73 and 9 once upon a time in an nba season and didn't win the nba championship and what did they learn from that well they kind of learned i think to flip the switch a little bit and coast in the early part of the season and hey what's the point we've already set the single season record for wins there's no point in going out and trying to break that um, and you know they're they're cemented in their legacy is cemented in history. But do you guys think uh, that a record like that matters to Patrick Mahomes? Does it matter for his legacy, or you know because I don't know what kind of guy he is. What does he strike you as? I don't think that it does. I think it's more of a generational thing though as well. I think people were so entrenched with wanting to win championships and championship culture that I think individual success and individual awards and records don't matter as much as they once used to. Like, when I was a kid, it was all about, like, you know, the baseball or football cards, like, the stats on the back. Like, that's what you wanted. I think it's less, like, like guys go for it less nowadays than they did back then. So it seems like to me, like, it wouldn't matter too much to him uh, where he would rather, you know, just win the Super Bowl and be more happy that way. Yeah, I think a big part of it is he's already had a good amount of success. He's already had all the crazy hype with reporters following him around weekly, you know, in his in his second year when he sort of broke out. I think if it were a more average quarter, like, like say if it was Kyler Murray going for it, that dude's slinging it up. He is going for it no matter what. But Mahomes, I think, even though, it would be a record. He hasn't been there and done that. Just when it comes to those individual chiefs achievements, it's already sort of a been there, done that. I just don't know. And, and sometimes the teams. And I'll just I'll ask Yam about. It. He's with the NFL Network. Like, you know, is this something that is talked about? Do players talk about the individual accolades and chasing a record? And you know, Travis Kelsey trying to break a record too for single season reception yards for a tight end. So, you know, will the Chiefs be geared up to try to win the game? And oh, and also. You know, let Mahomes break Peyton Manning's record and let Kelsey chase history as well. I just, I kind of feel like that 430 yards feels like too much to me. Like if it were 330, I say the Chiefs probably in their game plan are going, hey, let's get him to 330 and get the win so he can go down in history. But at 430, you have to be so intentional about trying to get 430 yards. Like you would against the Raiders too, who are, you know, the Raiders aren't terrible despite their record. They play in a bunch of close games. The Raiders are going to lose this game. They're probably going to lose it by one score. And we know it ends that way. It'll just be a matter of how. But I just, I don't know if, uh, you know, and the thing that I find is sometimes fans get caught up in this stuff more than anybody else. And I'll hear about it during college football season in particular around here. Like, you know, if a running back at Oregon State is closing in on, on a thousand yard season, I do see like, you know, uh, I I do see Beaver fans who will reach out to me and go, hey, you know, Damian Martinez needs uh, needs to get 100 yards this week. And I'm like, I don't know if that's important to Jonathan Smith and Brian Lindgren when they're calling plays and game planning for the game. I think they're trying to win the game. But uh, as an aside, I guess that stuff does help you recruit. Same goes for Bo Nix in Oregon. I did feel like in the middle part of the season for the Oregon Ducks this year that Kenny Dillingham was being very intentional about trying to have fun and make uh, you know what Bo Nix was doing on the field interesting. I do think Oregon was trying to kind of 
you know, as a as a sidebar to their season, was trying to craft an, a Heisman narrative for Bo Nix that got derailed when he got hurt, and it got derailed when they lost games. Because two things need to happen if you're going to win a Heisman Trophy: you got to stay healthy, your team has to win games, you probably need to be in or around the playoff. I think you know TCU's quarterback proved that. That's how you get to New York City in the Downtown Athletic Club as a finalist. But uh, I think it got derailed. But I don't know how important that stuff is to NFL players because I, I think money's important to them. Steven, you're probably right. We're in a ring culture. How many rings do you have? Uh, I think that's that's uh, you know something Patrick Mahomes is probably thinking about. Um, and I'm looking at the playoffs and going, hey, this weekend is huge for the NFL because, you know, Philadelphia or San Francisco would love to have the NFC's best record and have the only buy in the NFC. Like, especially Philadelphia, they'd probably love to get Jalen Hurts another week of rest. And, you know, he's questionable for the game. I'll ask Yam about that, too. What's at stake this weekend coming up? So we'll talk about those things. And, and uh, you know, look, uh, did you guys see Dick Vitale? I feel so bad for Dick Vitale. Did you see what he did? I, I miss this. No. Okay. Oh. Dick, Dick Vitale, like, okay, I'll be honest. Last night, it's Thursday night. We've been trained all season to see Thursday night football. I, after dinner's over, flip on the TV, just out of habit, and I go, oh, there's no Thursday night football on, and I happened to turn on the NFL Network, and they were showing the Week 9 matchup of the Packers and the Lions. They're replaying it because that game is going to be the second matchup with those teams will take place on Sunday, Sunday night football. And I looked at it, and just for a second, I thought, wait a minute. Did I mess up? Did they just – are they playing this game tonight? Just for a second. And then I looked, and up in the corner of the screen, it said, week nine replay. Okay? Poor Dick Vitale did not know that there was no NFL game played on Thursday night. He saw the replay. He tuned into the replay. He thought he was watching a live Packers-Lions game. And in his defense, it's Dick Vitale, okay? He's been through some stuff. Uh, he tweeted out after an Aaron Rodgers interception that in an important NFL matchup, the Lions are beating the Packers 15-6 to in the fourth quarter. He says Aaron Rodgers has thrown interceptions in the red zone. And the Lions have been super on D. Now, now he got roasted for it. But I always feel like you got to treat Dick Vitale a little bit like you treat your grandpa, your grand, your your dad, or whatever, or your neighbor. You know, he's an older guy, and you know he, as I said, he's been through some things. And I find you know Dick Vitale charming, but you know, 83 year old Dick Vitale, probably you know, when I'm 83, I should not be tweeting. That's another thing. That's an. That's another thing. What yeah, do you make of that? Yeah, you need to hire someone to make sure that that <laughs> is done. Like in your in your will, be like, hey, when I turn eighty, can't tweet. But I mean, I feel like we've all been in that situation where, like, whether it's a replay, uh, just of like of a play, like if you're out of the room and you walk in the room and you see like a replay of a touchdown, you're like, oh, great touchdown, and then someone's like, oh no, that happened like in the first quarter. I, like I've had that. I just didn't tweet it out. So yeah, you just gotta be careful what you tweet. I mean, that's well, I think and that's especially the if you're Dick Vitale because you're you know, you're on Twitter and. People are following you, and so it's not like he's going to tweet it and it's going to be four people who say it. He has almost a million followers. So poor Dick Vitale, he deleted the tweet, but 
He thought the game was happening live, and he got roasted for it. But um, also, can't people just be nicer about it and be like, I, know. I understand. I know. I, I, didn't, I, I didn't see it, but there was a half a second when I saw the Packers and the Lions where I went, oh, is this game? Like, I kind of was confused, and I was like, wait a minute. And then I looked in the corner and went, oh, it's a replay. Uh, Tony's in Oregon City. Tony, what's on your mind, man? Hi, John. I got a question for you. Specifically because you're a Niners fan, I like okay. the Niners also. If Garoppolo's available to play, but he hasn't practiced a lot, who do you take, Garoppolo or Purdy? I, I, you know what, I'm going to ask Mike Ham that coming up in this next interview. But I think if Purdy gets you to the Super Bowl – or and Jimmy Garoppolo is coming back. I mean, I think the you you've answered the question because you look around, and you go, "Hey, that guy got us to the Super Bowl." Uh, but I'll ask Mike Yam of the NFL Network that very question in our interview next segment. Appreciate you, Tony. You giving me a question to ask Yam. He's next. I want you to leave it here. You got the bald face truth. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Obviously a huge weekend coming up uh, for the NFL, and it's been the NFL's been in the news here uh, with DeMar Hamill and just a miraculous story, a great story, an uplifting story now with him waking up and communicating with people. But I wanted to bring on Mike Yam. Uh, with the NFL Network, he's an anchor there. He's got his finger on the pulse of things. Yam, what what has it been like in your world for the last week or so? It's been wild, John, and I appreciate the invite. What what a crazy week! Uh, you know, Monday night we do our show heading into Monday Night Football, and typically I listen to the first few minutes of the game. I don't live far from our studio, and when I get home, I'm able to watch the rest of the game. And you know, I, I made it home just in time to see everything unfold. And you're shocked, and I, I think everyone was. And, you know, it's almost like you don't even know how to respond because you know the severity of it once you see the ambulance and then you hear the reports about CPR. And in my mind, I'm like, do you even go about having this game? Because generally speaking, we see guys get hurt in the league, and they continue to play. And I think what's really telling is when DeMar became more conscious and, and you know, that, that, that quote that he had with the doctors who shared with us during their press conference yesterday, one of the first things he had asked was, did we win the game? You know, these athletes are so wired and so singularly focused on this game that in my head I was like, are they going to go? But when you see the images of the players in tears and the looks of shock, you know, John, I've given CPR uh, before, and I've seen it done, and it's jarring. It yeah. is. It's scary, um, and it's all you can think about. Like, even to this day, I mean, that was, you know, almost 20 years ago when I had to give CPR. I still think about when I hear the, the, the words, and I see them in print, I see it on television, or I hear someone say CPR. I think back to that moment, and unless you're in the medical field and you see these moments on a regular basis, it's it's jarring for some of these guys. So I'm not surprised, and I'm glad the NFL went in the direction that they did. But we've all been in this collective waiting room, right, so to speak, just kind of wanting an update and getting an update. And the fact that it's progressed the way that it has, and the breathing tube is out, and 
you know, he's able to talk and we're, we're having conversations about cognitive function uh, and neurologically everything intact. That, that, those are all just great, great, great signs. Did you, were you trained in CPR when you did it or were you winging it back in the day? No, I, I was, I was trained, you know, I was a lifeguard mm. um, back in the day and I actually still, it was similar in the sense it was a cardiac arrest and, you know, at the time I was working at a pool and people were screaming there was a, a a park adjacent to where our pool was, and you just – I still even remember this moment. You know, John, I, I was convinced, it, you know, the, the run over from the pool to the park where we started to administer the CPR, I was convinced that I, I could have beaten, beaten Michael Johnson in the yeah. sprint. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I don't – just – pure adrenaline and you just take off running um and the individual had you know had a heart attack and you know was was a father and um you know yeah it's you know you you think about those moments and it's tough it's still tough mike yam nfl network is with us what kind of you know because you guys had to go on air after this and you you know there are a lot of people wanting to of course probably talk a little football but but damar hamill became dory what direction were you given, you know, as a network from the league, your producers? What kind of conversations were you guys having around, like, what the conversation should be? Yeah, you know, it's really cool. I, I still consider myself relatively new to NFL Network. It's only been a couple seasons, but, you know, it's my first full season down here in Southern California doing studio work. And I think what's, candidly, what I'm kind of proud of, I, I had never been told this in my career, any of the networks that I had been at previously. I don't think anyone wanted to talk football. And that wasn't really even a conversation. And I, I remember I, I stepped into um, my boss's office, Charlie Yook, and, you know, Charlie had said to us, hey, just remember, guys, like, just be human out there. That's it. And I've never been told that. You know, you, you think about all the breaking news. I remember when I was at ESPN um, and Steve McNair passed away. Like, you think about all of these moments that are not sports related but are really significant and involve athletes and you get into this and john i'm sure it's the same for you doing radio or 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 the words that you write there's the human side of it but it's also a job right so you think about doing your job and executing it and it was the first time someone said hey it's, it's okay like just be human out there and to be given that latitude actually was really helpful for me because then you're not worried about the clock. You're not worried about, Hey, did we, did we get enough football? And we didn't do any football. <laughs> we just, we didn't do any football the next day. And it was just sort of sharing these stories and trying to understand what it's like for an athlete to be in those situations. And I, I think what's really tough is John, you know, we ask a lot of the former players all the time. And I, I don't know, I'm not, I don't like to be the guy who complains about something and doesn't have a solution. Cause I don't, I don't know what the solution is, but I think we, we ask these guys what it's like to be in that situation when the reality is everyone's response is so uniquely different. We are all different in how we perceive those events, what it was like to be on the field. Those guys are so different, right? Like the the, the teammates inside that locker room, locker room dynamics are different from team to team. So all that speculation, and I'm glad we didn't speculate about what was going to happen with the care or a timeline of progress or anything along those lines. We, We just stayed away from that because we're not medical personnel. We didn't treat him. So I don't think it would have been appropriate to even bring people on other than those physicians themselves who did that press conference yesterday but you know I, I, it's, it's just so hard to to understand what those moments are like for those players mike uh you know the football you know becomes more of the focus this weekend and of course you know roger goodell called it an uplifting story for the league it lifted the spirits of the league i think it lifted the spirits of sports fans my eight-year-old daughter 
Well, uh, absolutely thrilled to hear that Damar Hamill is communicating. You know, and yesterday I told her, I said, hey, you know, the guy you were worried about, it, it looks like he might be okay. And, and she... She just got a big smile, and so I think it's just it's more than just the league. Then here comes the football, and all of these ramifications with the playoffs and the seedings and home yeah. field advantage coming this weekend. In your mind, where do we start this conversation of what is at stake this weekend? It's, it's so crazy. You know, uh, John, last night we did a two-hour show. We're about to walk off the set, and they got into my ear, and they said, hey, no, no, don't go. Don't go anywhere. I'm thinking to myself, I'm, I want to go home. Like, what do you mean don't go anywhere? <laughs> and they said, hey, there, there's going to be some news here. We, we just give us a few minutes, and then sure enough, uh, you know, Roger Goodell in the NFL released a statement about what we were going to get. And, by the way, that was approved for any of your listeners who aren't aware that there was a resolution and there was a special league meeting that went down today. Yesterday we knew what the league had wanted. And those are tough conversations too, right? Like a lot of people on the NFL side, those are former players as well. And they're, they're thinking about what they saw and putting themselves in that situation. I think number one, there was a lot to digest. We saw the release and I'm going through and I'm like, Oh my God, thank God we had a researcher out there. Cause I'm throwing out all these random scenarios and he was able to answer a lot of these questions. I think number one, there's, there's no perfect way of doing this, right? Like there's no, there's going to be something or a team that's not going to feel like it's, it's totally right. But I think under the circumstances, the league did a pretty good job here. You know, that AFC championship game, by and large, is going to be played on a neutral site. Some things need to to go down, and it's going to be on a neutral site as long as Kansas City is playing in that game, and it's a combination of Buffalo or Cincinnati that make that AFC championship game. If Buffalo and Cincinnati don't get that far, then then it's irrelevant. Kansas City would host, assuming that it's the Kansas City Chiefs that, that make it that far. And then from a Cincinnati perspective, you know, they've already won the North, and I, I think that was the right decision based off of, you know, a winning percentage and, and, and how this stuff played out. So I, I think right off the bat, those are some of the things that, that I think fans need to be aware of heading into this weekend. Yeah, I'm watching Buffalo, Kansas City, uh, Cincinnati uh, on the NFC side. Of course, uh, I'm a Niner fan. I grew up a Niner fan, so I'm curious to see what the Eagles will do. And, and this week yeah. becomes a lot about who's going to show up to play and who's playing for what. Um, in your mind, give us some of those teams that you think will be especially hungry on the NFC side this weekend. Look, I think from a Philadelphia perspective, I, I haven't seen the latest update, John. I don't know if you have about Jalen Hurts and his playing status. I know he had practiced yesterday on a limited basis. You know, the Eagles could go as high as one or as low as five, and that is a remarkable decline if they end up in a five seed just based off of the fact for two weeks now all they need to do is win and clinch. Now, I, I do think the Giants are probably going to rest a lot of those starters, which I agree agree with to a point i'm a giants fan john and i saw them absolutely get hammered hammered the last time they played the eagles so i would love for them mm -hmm. to rebound there but i think it just makes sense from a giants perspective to rest a lot of their guys but philly's got so much at stake right now um and then you, you got some teams on bubble watch now, right? now just, I mean, to, with, just to let you know jalen hurts yeah. officially is questionable that's what they have listed him as so <sighs> who knows and they need to play him 
look, if I'm Philadelphia, I want that one seed because I want that, I want home field and I want that first round by and I want Jalen's shoulder to get right. And, you know, we, we had an up close and personal seat to, to Gardner Minshew when he was playing at Washington State. And I don't think it's totally his fault. The losses that they've suffered over the last two weeks. Now there was a, you know, bad pick the other day, but generally speaking, that defense needs to, to rise to the occasion. Um, so I think Philadelphia probably has got the most at stake outside of those teams that, you know, basically need to win to get in Green Bay, Detroit in that mix as well, and I'll throw Seattle into the uh, into the conversation. I mean, it kind of shapes up that if it comes down to, you know, the 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 Sunday night game and the Packers needing a win to get into the playoffs. I mean, it's the, the league has been very compelling this year. Yeah. And how do you think yeah. the season's gone as a whole? Um, you know, I, I, I hope we get the same type of postseason that we got last year. I mean, it felt like every single game came down to the wire. And I think, you know, there was so much drama just because it was the playoffs at that point. And I think I don't remember what the margin of victory has been, John, this season. But I think in the middle of the year, it was like historically close what we are seeing. So from my standpoint, like I've loved that aspect of it. And I think it's been, you know, really entertaining to watch. I think the one thing that I'd love to see just from a, a fan's perspective is, you know, just that quality. Um, you know, I, I think the top teams in both the NFC and the AFC are really, really good. But I think, you know, if, if I'm speaking honestly, I, I do question some of those bubble teams. Like I don't know how good some of those teams really are at the end of the day. We're talking to Mike Yam, NFL Network. Uh, a couple things that crossed my radar. Patrick Mahomes is chasing a record. I don't know how important it is to the Chiefs, but he's 430 yards, uh, passing yards shy of breaking Peyton Manning's single-season NFL record. Um, how big a story is that? And do you think that matters? Does it matter to guys? Does it matter to a guy like Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, and the Chiefs that, that Mahomes is – you know, if he had an insane game and they threw every, you know, threw every down, he probably could get there. You know, I'm on the fence on that one specifically. So what I would tell you is that a lot of these guys have bonuses in their contracts. Now, I don't think that this is one of those bonuses, but I do know that in previous seasons, and I've heard this a lot, if a guy's close to a bonus, they make it a point to try to make sure that he's able to reach that bonus. So I, I think from a monetary standpoint, guys care. Uh, with this one in particular, I don't know if that's something in Mahomes' contract. I think these guys think more specifically about, hey, how do I get back to a Super Bowl and win? I think what's fascinating about Mahomes, when you can throw his name with the Peyton Mannings of the world and some of those accomplishments, I think that's less about in this moment and I think long-term legacy. That's just another notch on that resume, Sean, uh, to what is one of the best careers that we've seen, one of the best starts to a career that we've seen in NFL history. Mahomes and what, look, I don't know if he's the MVP. I've been more on the Jalen Hurts bandwagon um, than I have Mahomes, but I, I think Patrick's probably going to win this thing this year just based off of what I think is going to happen against the Raiders this weekend and how far I think this team can go. Now, I'm looking at San Francisco, and, you know, they're yeah. playing Purdy at quarterback you know as soon as as soon as Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt everybody said season's over part of me is talking as a fan here Mike uh, but I'm looking at the Niners and they played pretty well with Purdy what's the ceiling for them what is you know and if and if Jimmy Garoppolo comes back and let's say they make the Super Bowl do you stay with Brock Purdy or do you hand the keys back to Garoppolo I think that is Look, in the offseason, I think there's some really huge questions around what the Niners decide to do at that quarterback spot. If if I'm being honest with you, John, I, I don't think they go back 
to to Jimmy if he gets healthy. I think Brock is is going to be the guy. I've heard enough stories. Now, number one, we're talking about Mr. Irrelevant, the last pick in the NFL draft, to have this type of start. He's got all the tools, right? Offensively, they've been doing this much damage the last couple of weeks. Debo's been banged up. We've seen the relationship with Kittle, Evolve, Brandon Ayuk, another guy that we watched from a Pac-12 perspective who was at ASU. They have so many great offensive pieces. And yet on the defensive side, this is a historically great defense that we're seeing on the field. They can get to a Super Bowl. And for as much as we make about the quarterback spot, John, like how important it is, and it really is, and how much of a difference maker it is, can you imagine – I feel confident in this Niners team against anyone in the AFC, anyone in the NFC to get to a Super Bowl with Brock Purdy there. He's perfect for this system. And I give a lot of credit to John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan in their evaluation. And and maybe maybe they take a ding on how they evaluated Trey Lance as well because of what we've seen, although I don't know how fair of a statement that is considering he hasn't been healthy and we haven't seen a lot of them. But think about how they what they saw in film from Brock Purdy to feel confident in taking him, drafting him, and then what they saw in practice from him. I've heard from a few different people about this. Brock has been able to uh, really thrive in that locker room, not only because of his personality, but because of what he was able to do uh, at practice, even when he wasn't the starter, going up against that first-team defense. Fred Warner's talked about the linebacker from a Niners perspective. He talked to Brock, as in, like, talking on the field and talking smack, and Brock would talk right back at him. And I think he, he was able to garner a lot of respect for what he was doing, running scout team a whole lot, to, to the point where they felt like, oh, my God, we actually have a dude who will be okay. Like, we got enough. We'll step it up on the defensive side and look at what they're doing offensively. The play calling for Kyle Shanahan, taking care of a rookie quarterback, it really has been superb. You know, before I cut you loose, Seahawks fans uh, will want to hear about what you think of, A, the Russell Wilson trade, the fallout from that, where the Seahawks find themselves. Are you surprised that, you know, they found themselves down the stretch here flirting with a playoff berth? Uh, you know, I, the, the Kenneth Walker, speaking of rookies, I think Kenneth Walker has been really the biggest difference for, for that ball club. I know they're 8-8. Eight and eight. I think they got a, still a great chance of getting into the postseason. Some things need to fall their way, you know. Man, they they absolutely crushed it in that Russell Wilson deal. I mean, think about what John. I have it in front of me. I, they're looking at a top five pick, right? Yeah. I mean, at this yeah. point, I don't know I what the a, latest was. I think, I think it was like fourth, three or four. That's where it's I mean, sitting. Yeah. Can you imagine? I mean, to have this success and know that you still have that pick, and it, it just to me, like Pete Carroll in that front office, they, they Schneider, they they're smiling ear to ear. Like they feel like they got a they have to feel like they fleece Denver in this. It really is. It's truly remarkable. And I think, look, Pete Carroll, I, I think he's like in his early 70s. I mean, he still runs around like he's in his late 50s. If knowing that they got the better end of this deal, knowing that they have a top five draft pick coming their way, and they can continue to build uh, something pretty special here, like I think he's going to find a sound use in a big way and look even younger out there. Mike Yam, NFL Network. Uh, also, follow him on Twitter. He's a fantastic follow. Hey, I appreciate you joining us and giving us your expertise. I want you to have a great weekend. We'll get you back on another time. Absolutely. Always appreciate the invite, and, and Happy New Year, John. There's Michael Yam, NFL Network. Really good stuff there. Um, look, uh, a lot of compelling football this weekend, and it feels a little bit like bowl season, doesn't it? Like you kind of got to figure out who's playing for something, 
Who's not? There's some teams maybe tanking for a pick. There's some teams maybe resting players and tanking because they want to be good in the playoffs. And there's some others that have their heads down trying to get a win, desperately trying to get into the playoffs or secure a better seed or the home field. And the Niners and Eagles race in the NFC is interesting. And you've got, obviously, in the AFC, you got a logjam there with a bunch of teams jockeying for position and, you know, neutral field and all that. But figure out who the game means more to, and you'll figure out the NFL weekend. I also think the NFL probably should have considered having some of these teams whose outcomes uh, depend on each other alter their kickoff times. I would have liked to see these games kick off at the same time and not allow certain teams, you know, like the Packers on Sunday Night Football, to sit and wait and see what happens in front of them or some other team. Like, they probably should have moved the Bills-Patriots to the to the late game on Sunday night. Uh, that would have been, you know, a lot of fun. But I, I think it would have been better if the NFL just lined up, like, all right, who's, who's playing for something? Like, San Francisco and Philadelphia kick off at the same time. That makes sense to me. You know, they can rubberneck on the scoreboard if they'd like, but you got to show up and play and try to win. You don't know what the other team did. Um, leave it here. Our big splash still ahead and much more. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750, the game. Real good stuff uh, from Mike Yam, NFL Network, especially uh, DeMar Hamlin. Uh, you know, he's talking with families, communicating with his team. Roger Goodell called it. Uh, a spirit-lifting moment and said it lifted the spirits of the entire week. Good stuff from Yam. Want to recap a few things. Guys, do you think the league, do you think the NFL in the final week of the season should, is it too difficult to just go, hey, any game with major implications will kick off at 1.25 p.m. Pacific time and line them all up? Or... Do you like that it just kind of happens scattershot and it's haphazard and hey, uh, you know there, you know there'll be a little bit of rubbernecking to what happens on in the in the morning because then maybe the afternoon games won't mean anything or they'll mean something. I like the idea of having them all at one time and baseball does this. Um, you know, last last day of the year they will play all the games basically at one time just to determine if there are those type of games. I think it'd be more fun. I think it'd be more fair as well. I mean, you look at this week right now. For the Seahawks, like in general, they have to beat the Rams, right? So if they beat the Rams, then they have to hope that the Packers lose. Well, if they if the Seahawks beat the Rams, the Lions have nothing to play for. So if the Seahawks lose, then the Lions have something to play for. Like it just doesn't make sense to me, and I think it's you know a little bit unfair to the Seahawks and to the Lions in that sense that they just they're gonna know what the outcome is right after that game. It would be more I think it'd be more fun and more entertaining had they been playing at the same exact time, not knowing exactly what's going on. So I think for an entertainment value for me, it would be great to have them all play at one time. But for the NFL, they want to have Aaron Rodgers on the Sunday night all by himself, right? Aaron Rodgers wins. He's in the playoffs. That is a good storyline. So I understand both sides. But for me, entertainment value, play them all at the same time. Yeah, I'm kind of there too. I think – sorry about that, John. I, th- oh, I, I love it when – the, it goes how we wanted to, and then those late games matter because then you're entertained all day as a fan. But I tend to agree, especially that Lions point. I mean, just depending on how the first one goes, you know how the second one's going to turn out. Yeah, you're kind of talking me into like a uh, uh, the parlay that people are, are parlay of the weekend should be Seahawks tied to the Packers. 
on the money line. That's how the Seahawks get in the playoffs. I've been talking to Jude about this all day today. But if you know, because then it's Seahawks, and then you know if the Seahawks win, you you know the Lions are going to roll over, right? Will they? I, you, I would think so, right? It would be human nature not to, right? Like I, I put it in my spirit. Like if I'm playing on the Lions, and all day I think, oh, I got a shot at the playoffs, and then I find out the Seahawks won, like I'm going to be deflated just a little bit, right? And I, then Green Green Bay needs to win. Yeah, but if I'm the Lions and the Seahawks win, I'm out. So, like, I would be deflated a little bit knowing I can't make the playoffs. I think it's just human nature. But, yeah, if you're Green Bay, you're psyched all day. You're psyched all day, and you know, hey, we're going to go into the evening. We're going to win our game. And if, you know, the 49ers and Eagles will kick off uh, at the same time, one on CBS, one on Fox. We'll talk about that later. But Philadelphia would clinch the home field advantage throughout the NFC playoffs with a win. Or if the Cowboys and the 49ers both lose. Um, and Philadelphia still needs to clinch the NFC East with a win or a Dallas loss. So, uh, you know, it's funny that the Eagles, here they are, 13-3, and three, and still need to win to clinch the home field. The Niners are sitting at 12-4. and four. They would need to win. They, they play Arizona. And they would also need a Philadelphia loss to clinch the home field advantage throughout the playoffs. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys would clinch the home field throughout the playoffs if they win, and Philadelphia and San Francisco both lose. Uh, and Dallas would be the NFC East champion if they win and Philadelphia loses. Seahawks, meanwhile, clinch a playoff berth with a win, and then they have to sit around until uh, 5.20 Pacific time to wait for the Packers game. Uh, and the, the Seahawks will need the Packers to lose that game to get into the playoffs to clinch a berth, and all Green Bay needs to do is win. Uh, the Detroit Lions are sitting on the outside looking in. They need to win. They need to win on Sunday night, and they need Seattle to lose. So if Seattle loses their game against the Rams, how likely is that, Peter Sampson? <laughs> are the Rams going to be? A, are the Rams going to come to play or not? I think they are going to come to play because it's the only thing they have to play for is to play spoiler. And no draft picks, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. F them picks, right? So <laughs> it's the it, only man. thing. It's the only point. Not even, uh, not even the, not even the uh, Rams and Baker Mayfield. Nothing there. No magic for Baker Mayfield. Magic. I, I mean, don't know. Maybe. All right. So it, the Detroit Lions Packers game on Sunday Night Football could be huge, but only if Seattle loses earlier in the day. I kind of feel. I agree with you know some people have suggested that what you should do is take the New England Buffalo game and put that back on Sunday Night Football. I actually think there would be some poetry to that because we started the week with Monday Night Football with that Bills game and so much emotion. And I think that Sunday Night Football would be must-see TV because a lot of people would be tuning in to sort of get the the you know the story on DeMar Hamlin. There'd be there's some subplots going on there. And also, I think it would it just kind of creates uh you know, Kansas they have to win. Buffalo needs to to win. Uh, and they need a Kansas City loss to get the home field advantage. But as as Mike Yam said, it kind of looks like that potential AFC championship game could be a neutral field. Like I, you know, I, I don't know. I I just know that I'm going into this weekend going. I wish that these games, as many of them as possible, would kick off at the same time, uh, and then put some of the meaningless games that don't mean a, a thing in the other time slots. So I don't think it would be that difficult to do. Although. I am a big advocate of fans, especially in the Pac-12 conference, having knowledge of when their game is going to kick off well in advance of kickoff time. So I don't want anybody to do that tonight. Like, I don't want Roger to go, hey, we got an idea. 
that we came we came up with. We were watching baseball, and we think it would be a good idea to 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 switch the times. And I thought it was interesting that Yam said that they were tipped off. The NFL Network was tipped off a day early to all this stuff that is going on uh, with tiebreakers and home fields and stuff. So it just gives you an idea of how big an entity the NFL is and how many people they need to consult with. On that note, the Pac-12 has been consulting, and I have questions about Dana Altman and the Oregon Ducks men's basketball team. They laid an egg last night against Colorado. Just a dismal performance for the Ducks. What does it mean? We'll talk about it coming up. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Coming up at top of the hour, 4 o'clock, I want you here for this. Um, you heard Mike Yam talk about CPR. He was a lifeguard. Um, when I was a kid, I was probably I was probably 12, maybe 13. And uh, I used to go and work out in this gym that was uh, kind of the only gym we had in our town. But they had racquetball courts in the gym. And my friends and I would play racquetball. And there was this... Uh, couple of few players that were really good racquetball players and one of the guys was a heavy set guy who just blistered the ball I mean he could hit the ball really really hard and you know racquetball was his game he would get in there and work out he, but I watched him often we would watch him play and we'd be like man he's sweating buckets in there um, and one day one summer day uh, we walked by the racquetball court and this gentleman who was nothing but nice to us as kids, was laying on the court, and another racquetball player was performing CPR on him. And it was horrific. It was horrific uh, for a number of reasons. One, you know, anybody who's seen that process of somebody getting CPR, and I've seen it uh, a few times in my life, and you can't unsee it, and it's, uh, you know... Uh, it it's really was amplified that day because the gym, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but the gym employee who was working the front desk when the gentleman collapsed, and his name was Henry, and he collapsed in the uh, racquetball court. It had glass windows on the court so everybody could see it in the gym. And he was laying on his back, and uh, there was another player who was performing CPR, and it turns out that that player was a nurse. And... The, the front desk people, though, they called Henry's wife and said, Henry has collapsed, and he's in the court, and they're performing CPR on him. And, and I lived in kind of a small town. You know, it was a little bit rural, south of San Jose, California, Gilroy, the garlic capital of the world. And it was a population at that time about 35,000, but the beauty was everybody knew everybody. But it was also big enough where may, maybe, you know, people were just acquaintances. But Henry's wife showed up while they were giving CPR, and she was hysterical, understandably so. And it was uh, traumatic. I'll never, I'll never forget it. And I made a pledge after that. I said, I'm going to learn CPR. Henry died that day. He didn't make it. And I, you know, I said, I'm going to learn CPR because I don't know what I would have done if I was in that situation. And um, it wasn't until I was about 15 that I got certified in CPR, and, and I have done it, I think, one other time since then, maybe two other times since then. I've had kind of a refresher course on it. And But um, coming up at 4 o'clock, 
we're going to talk to Jeff Heller. In 2015, his son, excuse me, 2005, his son David, who was 17 years old and a basketball star at Central Catholic High School, people may remember this story, his son um, came home after a scrimmage right before Thanksgiving and told his parents, I don't feel so good. His mom's a nurse. His mom, uh, you know, checked his heart, listened uh, on his stethoscope, and, you know, checked him out like any mom nurse would. My mother's a nurse. Same thing. And, you know, David got dinner, took a bath, went to bed. Um, he told his parents, he told his mom and dad, you know, hey, I love you guys. If I don't wake up, I want you to know I love you. And David Heller did not wake up. He died in his sleep. They found him the next morning. It's a horrific thing for any parent to deal with. And I met uh, Jeff and Bev Heller and their family, and you know, their three other children, through this terrible tragedy. And I have said numerous times, as you know, we have uh, either shared a meal or had a conversation. And I said, I wish I would. I wish I didn't know you guys. Um, but they took their tragedy and their grief, and they channeled it in a direction that has helped a lot of people. And I want you here for this interview because I think it will be powerful. I think it's important. I want you to hear it. But the David Heller Foundation, it was launched in the wake of his passing, uh, has raised money to not only screen, provide screening, cardiac screening for youth athletes in our region over the last uh, 15, 17 years, uh, but it has also uh, resulted in funding that has purchased more than 300 AEDs that have gone into gymnasiums and schools and have been put out, you know, with the equipment at uh, football practice. And uh, this, these things have saved lives, and these things are there for um, people to avoid what could be the most horrific um, uh, you know, development of anybody's life. Um, I think it's important for all of us to kind of remember that the stakes, as we do uh, with DeMar Hamlin, are huge and that we're all in this together. Like, I, I keep saying those things to myself, and I think it was one of the most uh, beautiful things that came out of Monday night and Monday night football was how people came together. But... The David Heller Foundation is, has been glue in this community, and at the center of it are the parents, those two grieving parents, Bev and Jeff Heller, who have done so much good in the wake of their loss. Jeff joins us next. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. I told some of the story of David Heller and the David Heller Foundation before the break. Anna has popped into the studio because Anna also came to know the Heller family. This is before Anna and I knew each other. You came to know the Heller family through covering that story and their loss as well. I did, yeah. And as I... Uh, as I, you know, sort of think back, and I've told Jeff this and Bev this numerous times, you know, I, it, I wish that we didn't know you. You know what I mean? Exactly. They're great people. Yes. But I wish at a distance I was like, you know, 
oh, that's a great family. I know nothing about them. I haven't <laughs> met them. I don't know them. But they have taken their loss, and they have created the David Heller Foundation. I hope you check it out. Uh, Jeff Heller is going to join us here to talk about the important work that they have done over the years. He's joining us now. Jeff Heller, where are you today? John, I'm at home in Scappoose. Set the scene. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. Set the scene for us at your house. Halfway. You you know, let me start over because I feel like I just stepped all over you as you were starting to talk there. Uh, you, you know, you're at home. Let's go back to 2005, you know, the Thanksgiving, even before that. You know, you raise a kid who is a star basketball player and, uh, you know, a kid that was just like a lot of other high school kids. Yes, he was. Uh, that night, John, he played. He came home. And he watched his one of his best friends, Derek Ravio, who played for Gonzaga in the Maui Invitational. And so we watched that, and we talked a little bit after this, after a scrimmage. And uh, basically, our son should have died on the floor, but the good Lord gave us a chance to, and gave him a chance to say goodbye. And uh, it was something that, I wouldn't ever want any parent to go through. And uh, basically what happened was that night he felt we noticed some, we basically noticed something in the scrimmage that we'd never seen before. David was, had a complete uh, sports physical two weeks earlier. And at that time, the sports physicals were pretty cookie cutter. And uh, it was sit on the bench, take your pulse, you know, how you feeling? And at that time, uh, they cleared him to play. And after that, uh, he came home. He said his goodbyes to me. We talked. And then he came up to his mom and, and I, he said, Mom, uh, you know, if I die tonight, Mom, I love you. And Mom, Bev says, oh, now, stop talking like that. And basically what happened is, John, the next morning we went up to his room and he was laying in his bed and Bev started CPR and then I called 911 and and basically, it was, the rest was history, and this is how we got the David Heller Foundation started. We had a, an autopsy, and the autopsy came back that our son David had hypotrophic cardiomyopathy, which is basically a thickening of the wall in the heart that uh, eventually it fills the cham- two chambers full. I mean, it's, the heart is a muscle and it fills the two chambers. It forms like a, a football where the wall of the cha- between the chambers is supposed to be just smooth and just parallel. Well, our son's was 
in the shape of a football. <clears throat> and so basically what happens is as that grows, the heart grows in order to uh, supply the blood to the body. And that's what the autopsy came back, and that's how the David Heller Foundation was started. Often people with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy go undiagnosed. They they don't present symptoms. Do, do you think David had a sense that night that something wasn't right, or did he complain about the scrimmage, you know, being winded or anything like that? You know, what happened, John, is I, Kevin, I noticed he was winded that night, and when I played basketball in college, a lot of times I'd hyperventilate, and I told my wife, she was next to me, I said, I think he's hyperventilating, and he was winded, uh, but after the game, basically what happened, John, is we stopped, we had dinner, I mean, we drove right past Emanuel Hospital, we could have drove right over there, but he didn't complain about anything. And he drove himself home, called his friends, watched the basketball game, and did his homework, and said his goodbyes. And so that's what Bev just said. Uh, we both decided, you know what, we want to try to do something to prevent other parents from going through this and other kids from going through this. So that's why we started our foundation in 2000, 2000, late 2005. And Jeff, it's been remarkable to see what you and Bev and your other kids have done to try and save the lives of other student athletes. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about your foundation and everything that you've accomplished and everything you're still accomplishing now? No. Well, basically what we started out, we, I mean, we had a spaghetti feed dinner in the Central Catholic gym. We put a small uh, basketball tournament on. Our son loved to play basketball. He basically, he was... He would play till 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night until we put the 9 o'clock rule in where he couldn't play anymore. So <laughs> basically what happened was the first thing we did was we uh, we said, hey, let's provide portable AEDs that they can be alongside the court and travel with the teams and have something right there. And so to this date, we've worked with the OSAA. We have provided over 300 portable AEDs to virtually every high school in the state of Oregon and, uh, and Southwest Washington. We know of some people who have survived from using one of our AEDs, but we don't hear about them because of HIPAA. And so anyway, uh, then what happened was my wife decided to start, she started the first teen cardiac screening. And she worked with Legacy to get this started. We had our screenings at the Adidas campus and also at the Memorial Coliseum where we screened on an average of 500 kids a day, 
and through the years we would we screened over three thousand. So then eventually it was so labor intensive uh, we decided to partner with PlaySmart, which is they are through the Providence St. Vincent's Heart Institute. Uh, the head of Place Marts is Dr. Jamie Beckerman. And to this date, they have probably screened over 40,000 teen athletes through various high schools. And so that's been a great deal. It kind of, COVID kind of shut it down. And now we want to get it back started to see if we can prevent kids from just having heart issues. What would you want parents to know? I know that there's a lot of parents who listen to the show that have kids who play sports. Um, you know, are sports physicals different now? Are they more revealing? Are there EKGs involved? If there's, if there's a parent listening to this that wants to make sure that their kid is healthy and has a healthy heart to play sports, what's your advice to them? Well, uh, what I would really do is first thing I would do is like sports physicals if you can get an EKG with a sports physical that is the key and that will start the diagnosis of if any problem was with your heart at the time uh, I would always I would always greet the kids in with our heart screening programs and Oh, it was just amazing. Some parents, well, the kids would be scared to death. And basically what happens was, you know, we'd say, hey, there's nothing to worry about. Just go in, relax. There's no pain. We're going to give you an EKG. You're going to meet with cardiologists at the end. They'll read the EKG. And when they got done, we, you know, the kids were, so happy they'd come out and say hey i've got a healthy heart you know i can play as hard as i want and some parents they would uh say you know thank you so much and we've had a few that were just said they were very disappointed and it was and like what i told them i said you know what i would have i would do anything to have a second chance with my son and at the time i just said please be grateful that you, we might have found something. And then from there, what you do is you go to a, a primary care doctor or a, a cardiologist, and they would do an EKG or echocardiogram. And uh, basically that is taking a picture of your heart. And what I would really try to do is if, with a parent right now, contact PlaySmart and see if they will come out to your high school. They can screen so many athletes and they are professionals at this. And they basically have followed our heart screening program and it's, it's painless. And it's the kids, when they're done, they know that they're healthy and they don't have anything to worry about. And the parents, it's peace of mind. Jeff, I know that you, Bev, and your family, um, you know, I've seen you at the fundraisers. I, I have watched 
you know, and heard some of the stories from the organizations that you have helped, um, you know, and you see a lot of times that families will, um, you know, go through something like this, and I can't imagine losing a child. You guys have managed to channel this into trying to help other people. Why was that important to you guys? Uh, John and Anna, it was one of the toughest things of our lives. And you never, ever imagine losing a son or a daughter. You know, our son basically looked very healthy the night that he died. The night, I mean, he, you would not know anything was wrong. And like I tell a lot of people, you know, Hug your kids, hug your hug your relatives whenever you can because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Basically, we had no idea. We haven't had any heart history in our family. And a lot of it, if you have family history, that's something to really look at. Our son basically had, it was a genetic they figured two cells mutated at birth, and uh, and that's what caused his hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Monday Night Football, DeMar Hamlin collapses on the field. You have obviously, uh, you're more tuned into this stuff, and you probably know of a lot of other cases in the news where stuff like this has happened, and, you know, you don't have medical personnel, you don't have an AED present. Uh, I'm just curious on Monday night, you know, as a family, as you guys heard this news, what your reaction was. You know, John, I, we, uh, I just happened to be watching that game and I stepped out of the room at the time and I came back and I saw all the, all the medical professionals, um, working on him. And then eventually I realized what happened and I told, came in, I said, Bev, I think this, this uh, player's in cardiac arrest. And, you know, the first thing you think about is, uh, well, the first thing, you know, I saw Hank Gathers play two weeks before he died, and I I just thought, oh, my gosh, you know, this is kind of the same thing. And we said, oh, geez, I wonder if he had cardiomyopathy or hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And... I just thought, oh, my gosh, uh, you know, they haven't released a diagnosis yet of him, but I heard he's talking today, and he's he's basically, he's making a recovery. It's slow, but, you know, he's he's got a second chance of life because he had professionals and he had an AED right there, and I understand he... They had to use it twice on him, which is, you know, unbelievable. So uh, uh, you just think he just he's got a second chance at life, and I sure hope and pray that he has a quick recovery and he returns to normal. I hope he doesn't want to play football anymore. But uh, but anyway, I just I hope and pray. And it, basically, what happened is it helped the whole country kind of get together and 
bring God and Jesus back into their lives or whoever you worship. And so it's working. Well, Jeff, we so admire you and Bev and your kids and the courage that you've had in turning your personal tragedy into something that has saved the lives of thousands of other kids. Uh, if people want to check out what you guys do, whether it's the cardiac screenings or the AEDs that you've provided to so many high schools in our region, they can go to davidhellerfoundation.org. Uh, John and I just both admire you so much because from the moment you know that I know that I met you, um, you have been just exemplary in sharing David's story, in taking something that impacted you guys and somehow turning it into education and awareness for other people. So I applaud you and we'll always do so. Well, thank you. And uh, just so you know, uh, they do have uh, Providence St. Vincent's Heart Institute has opened up the David Heller Center for Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy. If people have questions, they have uh, Dr. Shereen Rabe is, that's all he works with is hypotropic cardiomyopathy. There are new, there's a lot of research going on and genetic testing that we're trying to find common traits. But if people have questions, you know, feel free to call. I mean, I think they'd love to hear it. Jeff Heller, thank you. For those who want to get involved and know more about the David Heller Foundation, go to davidhellerfoundation.org. Jeff, thank you. Thank you, John and Anna, and thank you for all your support and all the stories, and I hope you both have a happy new year. And let's pray for Jamar Hamlin to recover and live a normal life, which is very, it's very possible. So, thank you so much. Appreciate you. David Heller, uh, you know, and his life cut short, but his parents uh, continuing his legacy and helping so many other people. I want you to leave it here. you got the bald-faced truth. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I got to admit, I got a little glassy-eyed in that last segment. I do every time uh, Jeff Heller or Bev Heller comes on this radio show. You get a little glassy-eyed, Anna? Yeah, of course. Did you? Yeah. You also got glassy-eyed in Avatar the other <laughs> night. <laughs> yeah, I did. This is a thing. This is a thing I found out. Yeah, That what? people are crying in Avatar, yeah. the movie. Uh-huh. This three-hour and 12-minute marathon that we went and watched the other night. <laughs> you asked me that question when we were leaving the theater, and yeah. I kind of thought you were joking. Yeah. You said, did you cry? I said, no, I didn't cry. <laughs> this wasn't Rudy. <laughs> this wasn't Hoosiers. <laughs> this wasn't you think the it's natural. Weird? You think it's weird for people to be emotional because they're like animated characters, pseudo-animated characters? Yeah, the story was pretty good. Tell me what moved you to cry. Because I, I I'm not making fun of you crying, but what was it that Can't made you cry? Kind of making fun of me crying. Um, it's just all the family scenes. So it was the, that whole movie was about parents trying to protect their kids, and so anytime 
you know, there was a scene involving one of the kids and danger and then reunification or whatever, it got to me. Yeah. James Cameron, the director, told reporters before the premiere that it would leave you crying. Uh, Zoe Saldana, the actress who is plays the, one of the lead roles, mm-hmm. um, she cried when she watched uh, the footage. Uh, you know, they weren't even the movie wasn't even edited. She said she cried 20 minutes after wa- after viewing the footage. Um, people are going to this movie, and they are crying <laughs> in this movie. Now, 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 Stephen and Peter have not seen the movie, and I told them my review of it. Yesterday, I gave him my review, and if you didn't hear my review, it's a 77 on my 1 to 100 scale, which means it's iffy. But if you're going to see it, go see it in the theater. Um, we did not see it in 3D, mm-hmm. but my takeaway was that a lot of the footage was of fish and the ocean and flying around. I think there was a lot of gratuitous 3D footage <laughs> that was shot that made this movie about 45 minutes longer than it should have been. And, you know, again, I was in college. I get out of a bar at 2 o'clock in the morning. I walk out. There would be a burrito truck there. This burrito truck served a burrito that was as big as a shoebox. Okay? (laughs) It's like one of those small shoeboxes. That's how big this burrito was. I'm not making that up. Oh, wow. And if you ate this burrito, it was mostly filled with rice. If you ate that burrito, they'd take your Polaroid and they'd stick it on the side of the thing. I don't know why anybody who ate that burrito would want their picture taken as evidence. But if you ate it. You know, so we would all try to eat the burrito. I'd get about a third or halfway into it, and I'd be like, "Done, can't do this to myself." That's how I felt in Avatar. The burrito was good, but it was too much burrito. <laughs> what was your rating of the movie? Uh, not that low. Seventy-seven. I, mean, I had it in the mid eighties. I mean, there's so much. The problem is, there's so much anticipation for this movie. Because a lot of build up. There was so much time that passed between the first one and now. And um, so, really, the expectations are quite high. So, yeah, I had it in the mid '80s. The uh, the movie we saw the other day, Puss in Boots Two. Yeah. With the kids. Yeah. I I rated that one a little higher. Uh-huh. Now, look, if you're into Avatar, go see the movie. <laughs> Don't let me deter you. But if you're kind of like, ah, I'm not really. I didn't really get into it the first time, or I'm not really that excited about it. Um, I I I'm iffy on it. You know, it, you know, I'm glad we saw it. It's a commitment. It is a commitment. I mean, yeah, three and a half hours, and we did it on a school night. I don't know what we were thinking. Yeah, I knew it was a mistake. And I had to get up at one point and walk around. <laughs> I didn't, like I said, mid-movie, you saw me, I said, I got to go to the bathroom. Yeah. I didn't have to go that bad. I just needed a little bit of a break. So I got up. James Cameron was doing his thing, you know, the sea creatures where people were flying and all this stuff, and it was really cool looking. And I got up and I went for a little walk. I used the restroom, washed my hands. You always should wash your hands when you're using the restroom, especially at a movie theater, because you're going to come back and what are you going to do? You're going to put your hand right into that popcorn bin. Uh, then I came back to the seat and you whispered to me and you said, "You said, oh, this is what just happened." Yeah, I'm not going to spoil you, it. Trying to give you and the synopsis. You of gave what me you one missed. thing that happened. Okay, yeah. I was gone maybe what two, three minutes, and you gave me one thing that happened. And then you said, and also, and the second thing you gave me happened before I left. So I didn't miss anything. And that's how I felt about the movie. I felt like it needed to be tightened up. Like, you know, a little bit on the cutting room floor, Mr. Cameron. And he, I think, was messing around with the audience a little bit. I really believe this. I have not seen an interview on this. Mm-hmm. 
I've not seen a conspiracy theory on this, but you pointed out accurately after the movie, he also did Titanic. Yeah. Which, by the way, is a marathon movie. And I there were some nods to Titanic in this film. And I'm wondering if other people picked them up. There were just little things that were similar, I don't want to spoil it, to Titanic. There were little nuances that if you paid careful attention in Titanic, you probably saw some of this in Avatar 2, All of Us Under the Ocean. Now, I feel like it's a part of my job to report to Anna when she wasn't here yesterday. John may not have cried during the movie, but he was crying almost about his cup that got stolen from Ooh. him. No, no, no. It it got damaged. It got, well, they took the your regulator. old cup. They yeah, took they your took old it. Cup. Yeah. And, and it back. for people who didn't hear yesterday... You know I have the regulator cup. You buy it like in 1995 for 20 bucks. You get $1 refills for life. And by the way, I don't even know what a Pepsi or Coke costs at a movie theater. <laughs> in the same way, I don't know what a haircut costs. Because I haven't had to buy a Pepsi or Coke at the movie theater. This is what I'm saying, Anna. He's still crying about it. <laughs> and so what happened was this year they went from Coke theme to Pepsi theme on the regulator cup. Regulator. Yeah, regulator, whatever. Regulator. Mount up. That's what I would say. Um, so in the end, what they were trying to do is they're trying to phase these cups out. They're trying to – they're messing with us. This is like an insurance company putting you on hold, patching you through to a voicemail, whatever. They just want you to go in a maze. So what the Regal Cinemas are doing here is they are trying to get us to trade in this high-quality, thick plastic cup, 32 ounces, for this <laughs> – Low quality, looks like you bought it at Taco Bell version of the cup. They're hoping that, that you just forget about it yeah. because it's basically a normal cup, and they're hoping that you just leave it in the theater and it gets thrown away. I think that's really the strategy behind it. Yeah. Because this thing has a lifetime guarantee. Right. So they're supposed forever. to grant you this for life. It's forever. It's like my grandpa. My grandpa, you know. Lifetime refill. My grandpa did that deal with his gym. Okay, he my grandpa was in his 60s uh-huh. and his gym offered three hundred dollars. You pay. No, it was three hundred sixty five dollars. You pay a dollar for, you know, one, every day of the year. Mm-hmm. And then you get lifetime gym membership. One dollar a year. Mm-hmm. So one time when he was in his 60s, he paid three hundred sixty five dollars. And then every year after that, he paid a one dollar renewal. <laughs> my grandfather I went to the gym with him when he was 93. <laughs> he walked in. <laughs> the gym lady checks him in at the front desk and looks up at him. And she goes, you pay a dollar a year? <laughs> and he goes, yep. And I'm like, he won. He won that deal. He's like the guy at the buffet that got there about 1030. Yeah, and has been fasting for three days. Yeah. He won. He went right to the carving station. He didn't fill up on the bread and the, and the salad. So anyway, we go to the theater, and the guy fills up the cup, Anna. You noticed it. Yes. It was leaking. Leaking all over the place. Flimsy cup. This is after only like a month or two of getting the new cup. So the manager was nice enough to Isn't this riveting? replace. I think it actually is riveting <laughs> because everybody can relate to this, I'm sure. Uh, you know, the manager was nice enough to replace the cup. And he pulled us aside, and he gave us the backstory. He says, hey, I think they're trying to get rid of these cups. And they're telling us not to replace them when they break. Yeah, what are we supposed to do? I got a plan. I said it yesterday on the show. 
So we're going to get the cup. We're going to go the, bring it to the theater. We're going to fill it up. Yeah. But we're going to buy a heavy-duty second cup. Second and shooter. And right when, right when they fill it up, a second shooter. <laughs> right when we – Steven's got it down. Uh, right when we fill that thing up, uh -huh. I'm going to tell him, don't even put a lid on it. Okay. I'm going to pour it right into this other cup that I have, 32-ounce cup. <laughs> How many and then, cups are we bringing to the and then, and then I'm going to take bubble wrap. I'm going to put it around that regulator <laughs> cup. And I'm gonna put it back in this my so my little stupid. hand, my satchel that I keep it in. This is stupid. No, we do have a special satchel that's labeled that we keep these stupid. I, cups I might in. even get a case. It might have a case with Are foam gonna, in it. You're gonna gold plate this cup. Yeah. You're gonna take it somewhere, and you're going to reinforce. Might it. Might as well. Industrial strength reinforcing. Might as well. <laughs> uh, hey, Gary and Tualatin is called in, and not to change the mood. But we're going to change the mood back. Apparently, you know, we were talking about CPR yeah. earlier. Yeah. And Gary and Tualatin's got a story to share. Gary, Gary, what's up, man? Hey, John. Go Ducks. Yeah, that was me, the guy on the uh, on the uh, football field uh, a couple years ago. So um, <clears throat> tell it, us about uh, it. Hit home pretty close. Tell us about it. So you 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 dropped. What was it? A was it a heart attack? What what happened? Well, what happened was uh, three years ago, Memorial Day morning, I woke up dead. Um, my wife had fell asleep in front of the uh, in front of the TV, and she heard this groan in my office. She goes, "What's that? A moose?" And she walks in there, and uh, she's a retired nurse, thirty years, <clears throat> and she uh, looks down, and I'm dead in my chair. And she goes, uh, "This is not good." So she gets on the uh, she gets on the uh, cell phone, even though the cell phone's dead. She had heard that you could call uh, um, 911 on a dead cell phone and it'll work, and it did. She said, "Come to this house. Uh, my husband's dead in his chair." And uh, the lady goes, "She goes, uh, well, start CPR." She goes, "Well, I am. Uh, what's that song? What's that song? Oh yeah, staying alive, staying alive." So she goes like 10 minutes waiting for the, the uh, you know, the cops and the fire department to get here and, uh, you know, went CPR herself for 10 minutes, which is incredible. Um, <clears throat> they threw me out in the living room, hit me with the paddles, nothing happens. Um, you hit me with a shot, nothing happens. Uh, they go another 20 minutes and they finally get a heartbeat. So they run me down to uh, Meridian Park and my neighbor saw me and said, this guy's not coming back, um, you know, because I obviously look completely dead. Um, so then, I mean, uh, the, the COVID had just started, so her and her sister are having to wait in the parking lot, so she couldn't get, you know, talk directly to the doctors and stuff. As I'm in the ICU, they've got me, um, like, the, like the kid, they put me in a coma and uh, lowered my temperature and all that other stuff. Um and so she calls my son in uh, Pennsylvania. He's going to, to uh, uh, Penn State at the time. Uh, said, "You better come out here, bring a suit, because uh, you're probably going to his funeral." So uh, they're waiting for me to stabilize out there in the parking lot. I guess I did. And then she gets a call about nine o'clock that night. She said, uh, "They said to her, they go, uh, come on down. Don't worry about COVID. Um, you're just saying goodbye. There's nothing we can do. He's gone. Just tell us when to turn the machines off." 20 minutes later, uh, they get another heartbeat. Two days later, I'm laughing and joking with the doctors and nurses. Wow. What did they tell you ha transpired? And 
you know, yeah. uh, I did notice you stopped calling for a while. <laughs> yeah, football season was over, and uh, you know, there's not a whole lot of reason to listen to sports radio anymore. So, but you know, this this uh, uh, brought a lot of stuff back. Um, what I have is called, and what this kid had too, is it's called uh, sudden death syndrome, which a lot of times called. Um, uh, crib death for kids, and uh, there's no symptoms, there's no nothing. They usually just find the body. So 95% of the people that have this, they just find the body because you just die. Uh, the, the brain stops sending signals to the heart. And of that 5% that survive it, it's about the same percentage uh, that have serious uh, brain damage or, you know, um, you know uh, lifelong uh, disability. Because if you don't catch it within five to ten minutes, the brain starts dying. So yeah. I'm basically uh, one in a thousand. Uh, everybody, of course, you know, after I'm, uh, you know, I'll come back and everything else because, you know, everybody thought that I was going to be brain dead. Uh, some say that I am already. But anyway, um, they they always ask her. They go, well, what, what happened? Well, how is he? And they go, well, he didn't get any worse, but he didn't get any better. What what do you remember of all of it? That's a good question. Um, when I was out, um, you know, because a lot of the doctors asked me the first question, you see the big light, uh, you know, it's a golden star case, uh, staircase, uh, smell smoke, what, what, what was it like? Well, all I can tell you, I had a little conversation with my dead brother, um, you know, and uh, said I had to get back. It's an odd conversation. But the, the, uh, the one thing that I really do remember is that I had the most incredible feeling that I was with Jesus Christ. I just felt like he was in the room as as real as real can be. I'm going to leave it right there. Thank you, Gary, for sharing that. Appreciate that phone call. See? This segment, you see how we started this segment? Then we went into, we were Jimmy jacking around about Avatar and the cup. <laughs> and now, Gary is talking about a near-death experience. And if you've ever seen someone perform CPR, that person is working. And sometimes it's multiple people. And we were recently, Anna, on winter break, we observed somebody who drowned and watched CPR happen. Um, it stuck with me. I mean, I think anybody who sees anything like that knows. Yeah, you know, just today I was uh, happened to do a presentation uh, with Cassandra Olven of Tualatin Valley Fire and Rescue, and she was talking about CPR and the incredible survival rates um, that can happen if CPR uh, actually is applied. You know, there's 350,000 cardiac arrests that happen outside of hospitals every year. So most cardiac arrests, 70% of them happen in homes and residences. Only 18% of them happen in public settings, and 11% of them happen in nursing and retirement homes. So, you know, if you take anything away from our show today, if CPR is performed immediately, it can double or triple the chance of survival when somebody is having cardiac arrest outside of a hospital. I probably need a refresher. We probably all do. Yeah. I've, I've had the training, but it's been so long. I mean, I think I could do it, you know? Yeah. In a, it, on the spot, yeah. I mean, I'm going to do it, but I would feel better about it if I had a refresher. 
brush up on that. Leave it here. You got the BFT. Uh, coming up, we're going to shift gears again. Yet again, it's going to be whiplash for you as a listener. But we're going to What's Your Peeve next. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Every Friday, we perform a public service on this radio show by uh, conducting a benchmark called What's Your Peeve? Essentially, as you know, I don't want you to go into the weekend carrying around a grudge, being angry at someone, having something on your mind that bothers you. So you tell me what your peeve is, and uh, a whole bunch of people listening who probably can relate to that thing all feel better about it. And we all kind of have fun with it as well. You have something you want to get off your mind. You have uh, a coworker who's driving you crazy, one of your kids, your significant other, an ex, uh, a friend of yours who's doing something that uh, that bugs you, uh, somebody in traffic in general, uh, cashier at the grocery store, taking too long, making too much conversation. You tell me what's bothering you. You can line up now at 503-417-7575. Anna's going to give her peeve. Peter Sampson's going to give his peeve. Steven's going to give his peeve, and I will share my peeve. But line up now. I want to hear your peeve. I want to know what's bugging you. Let's do it. What's your peeve? Oh, that pisses me off. That pisses me right off. Call 503-417-7575. And tell Kinzano what's your peeve on the BFT. Brought to you by Revolution Dental Implant Center. A smile revolution, one day solution. I'm going to go first. This is my peeve. This happened today. Uh, Parked my car, got out of the car, got onto the sidewalk, was walking into a local small business. There were two people coming the other way. Now, the sidewalk is more than wide enough for me to go to the right and those individuals to go to the left. But what did they do? They hogged the sidewalk. <laughs> sidewalk hogs, you are my peeve. This is not that complicated. Many of you drive cars. If you're over the age of 16, you should be able to understand the basic concept of sharing the road. If I'm coming on the right side and there are two of you, one of you, I hope, was raised right and would move over and you could move into a single file Peloton-like you know, formation. <laughs> You nobody needs to put on a yellow jersey on bicycle tights for this to look like a Peloton. But one of you, maybe go single file up so I don't have to either smash myself against the window of the business and let you pass <laughs> or hop off the curb into traffic to allow you to have the curb side by side. You, yeah, you, I see you. Rude people hogging the sidewalk is my peeve. 503-417-7575. What is your peeve? What bothers you? I want to hear about this. Anna, go ahead. Your peeve. Um, it's kind of similar to that. So have you ever been on a plane when you're sitting in either the window seat or the aisle seat? Yes. Most and, people have. Right. Most people have. That's your peeve? 
No, my peeve, and maybe this just goes with the person who got stuck in the middle seat and I should just let it go, but I don't know why I have a hard time letting it go. That middle seat person often will spread their elbows out yeah. and just occupy both armrests. Yeah. I don't know what the right this protocol is. This is an old this is an old peeve. This I is I don't like, know what the right protocol this is. This is a classic peeve. This is this one should be in black should and white. Should it be shared? Should that should that be a shared armrest? No. Or should you just give it up to them because they got stuck yeah. with the middle seat? That's common knowledge, Anna. Is that what it is? Yeah, the person in the middle seat gets both armrests because they're in the middle seat. Is that why? Yes. Okay. They're disadvantaged. Okay. So you give them both armrests. But they should not, the, especially if they have pointy elbows, they should not be extended, you know, but millimeter. They're often, they're often extended. Millimeter over. beyond the seat yeah. is, you know, a little bit of poor form. Well, because Lord knows that armrest is not wide enough. It's certainly not wide enough to be shared, right? No. Can't it's not shared. meant to be shared. <laughs> it's not. Okay. It's not a double serving. So it's not really a peeve. I'm just no, but just a point. I, my, mine's just a point of. This is bothering you today. all week. This yeah. is your thing, mm-hmm. because that's kind of a classic peeve. Like I, I think one of the first times we did this, people called in and said, really? you know, the armrest. Who, who does it belong to? So and, you're saying I'm unoriginal? No. If it bothers <laughs> yes, you, it bothers you. You're. You are? Okay. It's just it's rooted in the same thing. It's yeah. rudeness. Mm. How about this? How about when you're on an airline? Same thing. I have a real issue with walking around in spaces. So how about when you're on an airline, you got to use the bathroom. Uh-huh. And you get up to use the bathroom, and you walk. And let's say that the restroom is mid-cabin. Okay? Mm-hmm. Generally, there's a little galley space there, but it's not really meant for congregation. None, right. of, the, none of this fuselage of the plane is meant for congregation. <laughs> but I have an issue with, like, if you have a seat near the restroom, I don't think it's really fair to those people for a bunch of us who have to go. To be standing there ansily, you know, hopping around, you know, in the in the aisle. But I also have an issue, like, when you go to pass people in the airline, mm-hmm. like, you know, the I go way out of my way mm-hmm. to get skinny. Yeah. Not, I get skinny. Not to make contact. I get skinny. Yeah. You know? Do you turn with your butt toward the middle, or do you turn your butt toward the seat? That's a great question. I think we should all go butt to the middle as we're going down. I think it should be common knowledge. That should be taught in elementary that, school. There's no rule on that. Yeah, I think it should go. It should you should be like if you and I are passing, it should be almost butt to butt. <laughs> butt to butt. Yeah, that should be. I shouldn't be spooning you when I'm passing <laughs> you on the airline. All right, coming up, I want your P five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five. Back to the bald faced truth with John Canzano on seven fifty the game. I want your peeves. 503-417-7575 is the phone number. Anna and I have gone. Stephen and Peter still have yet to go. We can carry this over to the 5 o'clock hour if we need to. But I want you to get this off your chest. Let's go to Devin in Portland. Devin, what's your peeve? John, how you doing? Uh, Good, man. Fast food related. Uh, okay. And I'll, I'll specifically reach it to McDonald's, but it can be applied elsewhere. Uh, you got a line of six cars. And you finally get to be the next one to the speaker, and the person asks the person in front of you, how can I help you? And they go, uh, one second, please. The menu, the platform menu at McDonald's has not changed in 20 years. You should know what you want. <laughs> you're, you're, you're at McDonald's, okay? 
You know your order. By the way, what's your order at McDonald's, Devin? Uh, two McDoubles at Maxoff. Ooh, little little exotic there. I like that. Did he say Mac sauce? Yeah. What's Mac sauce? It's the Big Mac. Oh. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's a good one. Two McDoubles. I'm a fan of the McDouble myself. He might have been behind me in line. <laughs> Just saying. Hannah's up there going, hmm, <laughs> what? what am I going to have? What's new on the menu today? Only had 15 <laughs> minutes to figure it out. I'm with Hannah, though. If you're with the kids, the kids are so indecisive. Sometimes they don't <laughs> tell you what they want. You ask them what they want? <laughs> they don't listen to me. We go, this is what you're getting. You get what you get, and you're going to be happy. I want your peeves. We're going to continue this in the 5 o'clock hour. 503-417-7575 is the phone number. John will lead us off. John, you stay holding. i got a couple lines open. If you want to grab them, tell us what your peeve. Peter and Stephen will give theirs as well. you got the bald-faced truth statewide on the BFT Radio Network. Leave it right here. BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. Oh, we'll get to the five at five coming up. We will. Peter Sampson, Stephen are going to give their peeves. 503 417 7575 is the number. You can give your peeve as well. John is in Merrill. He's going to start us off here this hour with his peeve. Later, we'll do the five at five. We'll also do Punch It Audio, and we will do What's on Tap for the Weekend. I got a lot to do in this hour. We're going to move fast. Let's go to John and Merrill. John, what's your peeve? Yes, John, I love your show. I just want to say I have to kind of coincide with you with the youth. Uh, I was on my way home uh, from the auction here in Klamath and, uh, here the other day, and I had a bull in the trailer, and here comes some kids walking right down the street. And I'm like, okay, I stopped. I couldn't go around them because there's a vehicle coming on the way. And they're walking right down the street. And there's this young man. He's probably 14, 15 years old. I'm like, can you move out of the way? And he starts throwing his hands like he wants to challenge me. I'm like, what the heck is this all about? You know? So, but on Anna's deal, too, about the center seat, I'm in the military, so I fly quite a bit. And if I ever get a middle seat, I always ask each person on each side of me, hey, is it okay if I put my elbow here or there? I don't ever take up both of them. It's wow, what a, called, you're nice. Yeah. It's just, Diplom- common respect. it's just common respect. You have a conversation with somebody, hey, is it okay? And oh, usually 90% of the time, oh, yeah, go ahead, you know. So, Let me um, ask, there's, can I ask you something, John? Yes, sir. These, these, these bozos that wouldn't move out of the way, do they know that you wrangle bulls? No, they don't, sir. And I'm, you know, I'm not terribly old i'm in my mid-40s but and, and not only that but as he walked out or as i'm stopped on the road that little turd you know <laughs> lack of better word uh he decided to pound on the side of the trailer and got that Uh-oh. goddamn bull roped up i'm oh, like no. you little you little shit you want to play i can throw you in there with him and we'll see who comes out <laughs> <laughs> i love it hey, hey by the way merrill what's the population of merrill right now is it do you, oh. are you at a thousand yet the heck no sir we're probably set around 830 850 that's just an estimate um no, we're pretty small, and everybody knows everybody down here. So if anybody's listening to 
your show down here, they probably know who the heck I am. <laughs> there you, yeah, well, we're big in Klamath. I know that. I mean, yeah, you are. You you guys are. So. <laughs> well, uh, give us an idea for people who've never been to Merrill, Oregon. Um, you know, we're talking like transactions are sealed with a handshake, tight knit community. You got a stoplight. You got a McDonald's. What are we talking about? We got no stoplights. We got um, on. Main Street going through on the two main intersections. You got a stop sign on each side. There's a gas station with a mini mart. What's awesome in beginning of October time frame, we have the Spud Festival, and then in summer we have the Bluegrass Festival. Those are the See, two big highlights down here. And I'm not gonna, only that, give a shout out to Lost River Football Team One A for winning the state championship this year. There you go. And I'm going to guess those those kids that pounded on the side of your trailer. You probably know somebody related to them. No, they were they were in Klamath, actually, sir. I was, I had to wow. make a detour to go get uh, to a feed store, grab some grain for my uh, daughter's 4-H product project steer. So you you went to the big city. Yeah, I went to the big city. Unfortunately, <laughs> John, I appreciate that you listen. You bet, sir. You guys have a good evening and happy New Year's. Happy New Year. There he is, John in Merrill, Oregon. Population eight hundred. I just looked it up, 841. Merrill is about as close to the California border as you can get in Oregon. Bested only by Mallon next door. Merrill that's and That's how far south it is. Uh, we're, that's 960 a.m. that he's listening on in Klamath Falls. So that sounds I like a law firm, Merrill and Mallon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, pretty cool, man. We got a, you know, a guy wrangling bulls who called in. That's a new one. Uh, Stephen, what's your peep? Yeah, my peeve is uh, it's more around the holiday season is usually when the time of this happens. But um, when my kids get all these toys and I have to, like, build them, and they're very hard to build and very frustrating, <laughs> I just I, I lose my mind. I go yep. crazy, and then all of a sudden you have it built, and then, like, you need a battery, and you don't have a battery. Like, something is going to go wrong with the building of this thing, and I'm just glad that the Christmas slash birthday season for my littlest, since he was born on Christmas, uh, I'm glad the toy season is over and that we can uh, be done with toys. So you got everything put together, huh? For the most part, yeah. 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 yeah to, I said that to Anna this Christmas. I'm not making this up. Uh -huh. I, I turned to her on Christmas morning, and I said, you know what? We did pretty good this year. There's nothing to assemble. No assembly required. And you know who it falls on? It falls on Steven. It falls on me. <laughs> That's how it happens. Peter, what's your pee? Yeah, I'm beefing with my cat right now. The kitten specifically. or She's kind of in that awkward teen age, you know, five months old. And it's not even the morning zoomies at 6 a.m. that wake me up. My, my real peeve with... Cleo is uh, so we have multiple litter boxes so she has her choice and you know we divvy up the cleaning of those I clean the upstairs one and every time I'm in there hands in there scooping the clumps with the little scooper she runs in and pops a squat and makes extended eye contact with me <laughs> while I'm in the middle of cleaning Cleo chill out and just give it 30 seconds please man you gotta. That's a cat for you. How do yeah. you? Can you train a cat? Is it a, tra a cat a trainable animal? To a degree, I've seen cats that can use the toilet even. Yeah, so this cat's probably just doing this because it knows it can get away with it. I think right? so. The eye contact is the best part. Knows <laughs> exactly what it's doing. So, what do you say to the cat when that's happening? I say no, thank you. And just continue on my uh, merry way. Just keep doing my job. I just look her right in the eye and say no, thank you. I think you need to do maybe call Caesar Milan in and have him do a little <laughs> training session with your cat. There you go. What's that noise he makes? I, 
I think the cat the cat is is trying to show you who the boss is. There's no better way. You know what you got to do? You got to do it right back. Yeah, like maybe next Take, time she's sniffing around, I'll use the box. That's what I'm saying. Look her right in the eye. <laughs> oh my God. I should look ask her right in the eye and be like, you know what? It. You want to play this game? I one up you. She would. I, I should have Kim clean it. She would be mortified. There's this giant clump like the size of a football. I think our cat is sick. You want to escalate? You show that cat, Peter. You show that cat who's boss. I will. I will. I'll give you an update. There you go. Throw me a freaking bone here. All right. There you go. That's how it happens. <laughs> When he first started talking about his cat, I went, oh, cats, who wants a cat? This is actually a good peeve. I don't blame him. You need to get that off your chest, you know? Only it's not changing anything. It's just going to be that way tomorrow. But, but he, he feels better. Action. feels better about it. I think you yeah. actually, you know what you should do? Hmm. you got to train this thing. you got to train this cat, you know? Cats can you, don't care about you. Can you they like, don't want to please you like a dog does. Yeah, I think you get a fire extinguisher, and when the cat does that, you get a foam <laughs> fire extinguisher, and you just unleash. See, and, and, and I do the squirt bottle method. It works really well to the point where I just have to shake it, and she runs off. But I don't want to discipline <laughs> her like, mm-hmm. she's using the box. That's what we want. She's doing, oh, yeah. she's doing what you want her to do. Exactly, just at the wrong time. Uh, maybe she really does want to please you. Maybe She's like, hey, look what I'm doing. I, I'm looking right at you. <laughs> exactly. well, why am I not getting? Why am I not getting praised for this? Yeah, Maybe you're just misinterpreting it. Yeah, she's yeah. looking for a congratulations. I will. I'll dap her up next time. <laughs> you're, Wash you're my hands. People pleaser. Gold star. <laughs> Who knew? Right on your cat forehead. <laughs> that brings us to the five at five. It's the five biggest stories going on. The five at five. Brought to you by Mercedes-Benz of Wilsonville. See more than 4,000 vehicles at Swickert.com. I'm so impressed that Steven was ready with that benchmark. I just sprung it on him, and he got it. Uh, let's start here. Uh, the NFL's plan for a possible neutral site AFC title game is on. The NFL owners approved the plan. It leaves a possibility of a neutral site AFC championship game that could determine the home field advantage uh, and and a coin flip that could determine the whole field advantage for a wild card game between the Bengals and the Ravens. Uh, this all is in the wake of the cancellation of Monday night's Bills Bengals game. A lot of uh, a lot of scenarios based on the results, but you know if you're a football fan, you kind of know if Buffalo and Kansas City both win, then the Bills Chiefs potential title game would take place at a neutral site. If Buffalo and Kansas City both lose then same thing. Bills Chiefs championship game could be at a neutral site. Uh, but, by the way, uh, if the Ravens win on Sunday over the Bengals and they're matched against Cincinnati in a wild card game, they'll determine the site by a coin flip. So there you go. A lot of things going on with tiebreakers. The NFL trying to accommodate for canceling the Bills Bengals game on Monday night. And a number two go. Someone out there will care about this. It's not me, but I'm going to say it because somebody will care. Jake Paul announcing that he will be fighting in the PFL MMA. That's the Professional Fighters League MMA. And that he has offered Nate Diaz a two-fight deal. The offer includes a boxing match and then six months later, a fight in the PFL. I don't know why this matters, but I think that there are some people who care. There's a, it's a niche. 
Yeah. There's a narrow stripe of people that would be interested in it, but that narrow stripe apparently willing to pay some pay-per-view dollars and make it worth the while of the fighters and the entity that sanctions it. There you go. Number three in our five at five, the Dodgers have cut ties with embattled pitcher Trevor Bauer. This uh, news breaking uh, in the last hour. The Dodgers have uh, officially taken the former Cy Young Award winner and designated him for assignment. That means they have until 2 o'clock Eastern time to find a trade partner next week, 2, two o'clock Eastern time Thursday. If they can't, he is unconditionally released. If he clears waivers, he'll be released. He'll be a free agent. That's the likely scenario. I don't think anybody's going to claim him. So it looks like the Dodgers are just going to end up releasing Trevor Bauer. Uh, their decision comes two weeks after an arbitrator trimmed his suspension from 324 games to 194 games. Um, and, uh, you know, the Dodgers had a 14-day window to decide whether to add him to their roster. They're not going to do it. They uh, stretched that deadline and that decision right up until today. And the Dodgers say that their organization believes that allegations of sex assault or domestic violence should be thoroughly investigated from the beginning. We have cooperated with Major League Baseball. And uh, they have concluded that Mr. Bauer's actions warranted the longest ever active player suspension in Major League Baseball. Anna, number four. Five-time All-Pro and former Wisconsin defensive end J.J. Watt announced his retirement from professional football, uh, effective at the end of the Cardinals season. His final game comes this Sunday against the 49ers. But what caught my eye was one of the gifts that he received from a fan. He tweeted out a picture of a box that contained a stuffed badger, like a real badger, from a taxidermy, an ode to his time at Wisconsin. So he's got a badger in a box? A badger in a box with a bubble wrap to protect it. And that's got to be the weirdest thing to receive in the mail. Well, Who's checking his mail? I once got a, a jar of sauerkraut in the mail after a column I wrote. Really? Yep. I mentioned sauerkraut and some sauerkraut company in Oregon that produces it. Not research, but somebody else said, you ought to try it. It's not a badger in a box, but that's what I thought about when you gave that story. Uh, the Blazers were thrilled. This is number five. The Blazers were thrilled to get Gary Payton II back. You know, he's been injured. He's been out. They were thrilled to get him back. He came back, and guess what? He's out again. He's questionable for the Blazers uh, Pacers game tonight. Uh, Steven, you got some thoughts on this? Gary Payton II out again. Yeah, I do. Um... It just seems very, uh, very weird, right? Like, it took him, it seemed like he was uh, cleared to play after the surgery and the offseason. Then he hurt his ankle, but in that game he hurt his ankle, he continued to play on it against the Pistons. I I don't know. There just seems, there seems something fishy going Something's on. Something's up. Something's going on. What is up? What is, what do you, what is, speculate here. Um, we're not, you know, I, we're not going to nail this down, but what do you think? Yeah, I, yeah go ahead, Steven. Sorry. Yeah, I did I don't want to question his, uh, like, um, his standing with the team or anything. I just don't know that he's necessarily ready to play yet. It seems like he's almost on a championship hangover. He got his contract. 
he just doesn't necessarily want to play basketball right now. Yeah. Okay, so do you think he just doesn't want to play? Peter, do you agree with that? I Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I, I mean, he, he got paid, and it might be hard. It's kind of hard to square that thought because his whole rep, he's a grinder. You know, he really had to work to earn his place in the league, but he gets his contract, he gets his championship, and all of a sudden the, the grind, it appears to me, has sort of uh, stopped. But he came back. He played January 2nd against the Pistons. He played 13 minutes. He scored seven points, three of four shooting. He had four assists and a steal. And, you know, everybody was like, okay, he's back. Do you think he just came back to get people off his back? And, I, and it, now he's going, all right, I'm going back out. I mean, possibly. I mean, he's been cleared for, what, a month, Stephen? A little more yeah. than a month? and. Yeah, yeah, so he's been cleared for a month, and the, the chorus of voices is starting to get louder and louder. And you even hear, you know, when you watch the Blazer games, you hear something like, uh, well, you know, we like people that can grind through and stuff like that. That might be a little bit of a, of a shot at GP. Well, he comes back and plays a game. I didn't see an ankle tweak. He played his minutes. He was only going to play about that many minutes anyway. He kept playing through. It wasn't bad. And all of a sudden, he's missing a couple games. I, I don't I don't fully buy it. There's been a couple weird comments um, in post-game interviews. Chauncey said uh, they had talked about Josh Hart, and they said, what do you like about Josh Hart? He said, I like guys that play through Knicks. And I took that as like, come on, GP2, let's get out there. And then after the game, he actually played Brooke asked Anthony Simons, oh, what was it like playing with the GP2? He responded with, well, it's about time we got to play with GP2. Like, those those are kind of the subtle comments that I hear that I'm like, all right, you know, my my little brain is saying, GP2's got to get out there. That is the 5 at 5. Coming up, uh, what's on tap, among other things, plus punch and audio. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, let's see what we've talked about on the show today. <laughs> let's see what we've talked about today. All right, let's go through the... Uh, Mike Yam of the NFL Network joined us in hour number one. Uh, we talked at length about the NFL. It is a huge week for the NFL. Bunch of playoff games that matter. Bunch of stuff that is important, but also, frankly, let's face it, like the NFL had this week that started with you know, DeMar Hamlin on the field collapsing CPR University of Cincinnati Medical Center um, you know, humanity rallying around that um you know, Roger Goodell said today it lifted the spirits of the league when DeMar Hamlin was able to communicate via FaceTime with his teammates. And I don't think it, it stops at the league. I think literally it I think it goes further than that. I think it goes um I think it goes to it speaks to sort of lifting humanity and you know, period. Because I just think it was such a good story, and it was a story, frankly, that I think we all needed for him to wake up and to have what looks to be a positive recovery in front of him. Uh, we talked about that. We uh, talked with Jeff Heller of the David Heller Foundation. Jeff lost his son. Uh, Jeff and Bev Heller lost their son. Uh, and uh, David Heller passed away in 2005. And uh, hypertrophic myocarp, uh, I'm going to have to look this, this back up. 
you know, the David Heller Foundation was founded in the wake of of that uh, tragedy, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Thank you. Um, and David was 17, and here his parents are 17 years later continuing the legacy uh, and helping people. AEDs, more than 300 put in schools across the state of Oregon, and uh, more than 30,000 kids in the state of Oregon have been screened, had the cardiac screening, and uh, there are hundreds if not thousands of kids who have benefited from their strength. So uh, again, if you're interested in helping out, davidhellerfoundation.org, not a bad place to start. Uh, we talked about your peeves. We did the five at five. We're going to do what's on tap coming up, but I got I want to step back just for a second. I want to talk about the column I wrote today at johnconzano.com. Dana Altman, University of Oregon men's basketball coach, highly successful coach. I don't think anybody questions that Dana Altman knows what to do in a huddle. He knows how to game plan. No, appears to know how to recruit. Went to a Final Four. Won four Pac-12 championships in a six-year period at one point. Guys, good coach. And I've had my issues with him over the years on this or that, but no, no doubting his skill and his basketball coaching acumen. His team looks terrible. They're one game over 500. They played last night in Colorado and got obliterated. They not only failed to defend, they were pathetic on the defensive end of the floor, they scored 41 points. The point total was the lowest in Altman's 13-season tenure in Eugene. So were the three assists that the team had. That's bad. And 27% shooting from the floor. What bothered me the most was the effort. It was lackluster. Altman said after the game he was embarrassed. I hope his players were embarrassed. But the problem really with this team, and you know, it's more of the same from last season, is that they're shorthanded. They've had a whole bunch of rotation players miss games. So they're a little bit shorthanded. They can't effectively press. They struggle in the half court. They don't play good defense. And because they don't play good defense, they struggle to consistently you know, create offense because they're not a good half-court team. Uh, last night, they were shorthanded and playing at 5,318 feet of altitude. Not an excuse, but they wilted. They, uh, they just did not respond very well. And it was really puzzling to me. Didn't shoot, didn't defend, void of energy. Suddenly fans are going, did he forget how to coach? I don't think that's the problem. I think there may be a bigger problem, but I need a bigger sample size to draw this conclusion. But he lost you know, his assistant, Tony Stubblefield, to DePaul a couple of years ago. They haven't been the same since. It appears as though that Canadian pipeline where they were drawing all these players out of Canada, including Chris Boucher, um, and uh, Dylan Brooks, uh, that pipeline isn't feeding into the program the way it once was. But they're going to play tomorrow against Utah in Salt Lake City. And suddenly this game feels huge to me because Utah's good. They're 13-4. and four. They beat Arizona by 15. They beat Oregon State last night by 19. Now, I don't care if the Ducks win this game tomorrow. I don't care if the shots fall. But 
I kind of want to see if Oregon's going to show up and play like a team that's interested in finishing this season and and mattering. Or are they just are they about to roll over? And if they do roll over, it's going to be two seasons in a row that Altman's teams just haven't met the standard at Oregon. There's part of me that's going. Is Rob Mullins, the Oregon athletic director, going to look at Dana Altman and go, hey, you know, uh, I don't know, this just isn't working anymore. You know, I don't think they're going to fire him. But I'm looking at Dana Altman and I'm going, why does he want to do this anymore? Like, is there some part of him that at, you know, his age, 64 years old, transfer portal, NIL, world swirling and changing around him, Like, if this continues, I'm kind of wondering, like, you know, what his legacy is going to – is he damaging his legacy, basically, at Oregon? Because – and people may say, no, it's ridiculous. He made a Final Four. He's been a a high-level coach. I don't know. How much longer does he want to coach? His contract – he's got several years left on his contract. But I wrote today – I wrote a column about Altman, you know, last year a high-level donor at Oregon amid a very disappointing season. They didn't go to the NCAA tournament last year sent Altman a case of wine midseason. Basically, hey, hope this gets you through the season. I kind of think that donor is going to send a second case of wine right now because I'm tomorrow becomes a really big game for this men's basketball program. I'm just, I'm just going to watch. And you know what I'm watching for? I'm watching for energy, you know, alacrity. Is there an urgency? Is Will Richardson, you know, he? I don't think he's quite – you know, he's not on the level of the star players in the Pac-12. He's a good player. He's kept them from – he's helped them win some games. They're 8-7. and seven. But he's not quite on the level of the Tyler Dorsey, Dylan Brooks, Peyton Pritchard, put the team on my back, will this team to win level. And he suffered last night. He was one of nine shooting. He didn't look good. I didn't like his body language. I didn't like his energy either. Now, Stephen, you've played some college basketball. Maybe it was just a night. They're at high altitude. The shots aren't falling. They just kind of don't have it. You've seen this happen. But I just want to see some energy from this team. Is that asking too much? It's not. And, um, you know, I have played at, uh, it was formerly Mesa State. It's not Mesa State anymore, but I went on a recruit trip there. And I will say the altitude is a real thing. Like, it is way different to play basketball um, when you're playing in a state like Colorado than it is in Oregon. Now, as a Division One athlete, which I was not, these guys need to be ready for that. And it is interesting that they are playing so bad. And it's not just that they're playing bad. It's like you said, there's not much effort. And I don't think Dana Almond's forgot how to coach. This is a guy that's won 718 games in his career. That's 24th all-time. Like, this is one of the all-time great coaches. And all we're asking for is effort right now. So is it one of those things where we've seen this in old coaches, the game passes you by because you're playing, you know, it's a young man's game? Or is it just the fact that maybe he's made some recruiting mistakes? I think it's hard to live and die by the transfer portal, which he kind of has tried to do. He's been trying to get a lot of, you know, JUCO transfers or just transfers from other school. Is, I think it's hard to you know, gain consistency with a team that way. You think about when he went and they went to the Final Four, he had recruited Dylan Brooks, he had recruited Tyler Dorsey, he recruited Peyton Pritchard as freshmen. Not all these transfers in. Like Those were the best players. And I agree with you, Will Richardson, he's the type of player that is a good complimentary player but not the star player. I think that I want to give Dane Altman a, sh- a chance, and I don't want to you know shove him out right yet because he is a all-time career coach, but... 
we're at the bottom here where we're just asking for effort. And if if the if the Ducks can't give effort, you know, in this next game against Utah, who is really good, I think it is cause for alarm because we've seen older coaches lose touch with the teams really quickly, and it can fall off a cliff. You don't want that to happen with the Oregon program. I'm just kind of looking at it, going, "Hey, it's a small sample size, but I need to see something on Saturday. Like, just show me some energy. I, I don't even care if they win the game. Like, Utah's good. I think Utah's going to be about maybe the third or fourth best team in the conference. But show me that you care in this game. You're still going to be shorthanded, but I want to see some, you know, defensive energy, rebounding, guys running around, you know, playing with with some urgency." I didn't see that against Colorado. And all season it's been like that, too. Like, they've lost to UC Irvine. They lost to Utah Valley. They had a close game against Riverside. Like, those are teams that you shouldn't lose to or have competitive games with if you're the Oregon Ducks. Like, you are above those programs, and you're above that level. There's got to just be a higher expectation, and there was. And I think that's why it's so disappointing because Dan Allman got them to that level where we're expecting them to be ranked every single season, expecting them to make runs in the NCAA tournament. So now that it's not happening, it's just a little disappointing. They're set up for a big Saturday. Pay attention to that uh, tomorrow. Coming up, uh, we will uh, play What's on Tap and play some Punch It Audio. Leave it here. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. What do we have coming up top of the hour, 7.50 the game right here in Portland? We have the Pulse with uh, me, Peter Sampson. Peter Sampson and the Pulse. What are you going to talk about, Peter? What's on your mind tonight? Yeah, uh, Shaden Sharp's going to be in the dunk contest. Want to talk about his chances there. It's always exciting. Like, it's lost its luster, but when we get one of the local guys in, it can make it fun, and I think he's going to have a little something special planned for us. It's a Friday show. I'm going to ask what's in your glass as we're approaching the weekend. And, man... I know Rolling Stone isn't the publication it used to be, say, 40 years ago, but they put out a list of their top 200 singers of all time today, and it is garbage. Do you remember when Rudy Fernandez was in the dunk contest? Yeah, I guess that's a, an example of when it didn't add any luster to it. it he was not no, impressive. No, but it was exciting. It was, it was exciting that he was going to be in it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I tuned in. Normally, I don't do that anymore. It was awesome when Anthony Simons won it yeah. a couple years ago. But I think Sharp, I mean, to me, he's he got, one of the best yeah. leapers since, like, Vince Carter. Can you bet that? I think that would be a good yes. bet for people. Definitely like, can, uh, but yeah, not everyone's been uh, been announced yet. But I think you're right. Like that, he's probably going to be the favorite. I would guess. You think? I do. You think? You think casual NBA fans are tuned into that? They probably are, huh? Yeah, like I know he's a dunker in the Twitter sphere, not just within the the Portland Trailblazers community. There's a lot of, hey, this kid's 19. He's only playing, you know, 16 minutes a game. Here's a compilation of every dunk he's had this season. Pretty cool to see that. Uh, yeah, like we I talked. Wanna, to, oh, sorry, we talked about yeah. like Justin Herbert being a viral quarterback. Shaden Sharp's kind of one of those yes. guys, viral dunker. There you go. All right, not so bad. Do you think we need a song for for Sharp? We had a song for uh, for Rudy. Maybe. You know? What? <sighs> Do you remember the Rudy song? I don't. Refresh my memory. Okay, I'm gonna play it. It's a Friday. We used to do this on Friday. Yeah. So we used to come up with these squirrely songs. We kind of went through a period on the show where we did weird things, but um, like we did a sh- we did a song for Kevin Pritchard, the Blazers GM at the time. We did the Gambler. Um, 
you know, we did uh, we did a song for uh, we did lots of songs for the show, but we, when Rudy Fernandez was in town, along with Sergio Rodriguez, Sergio Garcia, Rodriguez, Rodriguez, I had it right, Sergio Rodriguez, um, uh, we did a takeoff of Julio Iglesias to all the girls I've loved before. <laughs> All the threes I've shot before That passed in the net to the floor I'm glad they came along I dedicate this song To all the threes I've shot before To all the tres I once caressed and may I say I've heaved the best For helping me to score I owe a lot more To all the trees I've shot before Here comes the chorus My amigo Sergio's always knowing And every time I try to stay he just keeps on passing and throwing. <laughs> there it was. Did it ring a bell? Did you know that one or no? That sounds vaguely familiar, yeah. Vaguely familiar. I don't know. It, it probably was a lot funnier back in the day when we were actually doing it, and people knew who he was. But I think there's uh, like the, the cycle for this stuff isn't very long, unfortunately. So there you have it. Uh, let's play uh, – should we play Punch It Audio or should we do uh, – should we do what's on tap? What do you want to do? You call it. Let's go. Uh, let's go. Punch it. We can go. What's on tap at the end of the show? Okay. Punch it audio. Let's do it. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here. Okay, which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, Ian Rappaport reporting that the Cincinnati Bengals are not happy with the NFL's playoff scenarios. Could be a coin flip that determines the site of the Bengals and Ravens uh, game if they should meet in a wild card game. Here's Ian Rappaport on the scene. Punch it. Yeah, it got the votes. Not a uh, not unanimous, nor to be expected to be unanimous. The Bengals are mad. They are really mad. And look, there's a lot going on here. It's been an emotional week. There's been so much of the focus has been not on football, but as far as just the football part of it, what the Bengals feel, guys, is not just they should go by the rules, although that obviously is what it is, but they feel unfairly penalized. They are a division champion. They won the AFC North. There is a possibility that they lose to the Baltimore Ravens twice and still win the AFC North, which has happened before. It has happened. Teams have lost to an opponent twice and still won the division. Uh, but they feel like they win, they should just win. You get the good, which is seeding and possible home games. You get the not good, which is a tougher schedule for next year, a uh, a draft spot that is higher than maybe you would want. There's some good, there's some bad. They feel like they only got the bad because they didn't guarantee a home game. So they are not happy. And there's some others that aren't happy as well. But as Roger Goodell said, there are no perfect solutions. And this is what the NFL has chosen. 
Yeah, look, you got to you got to take the 20,000 foot view if you are anybody in this scenario. It, it all happens because DeMar Hamlin collapses on the field and Monday Night Football has to be, you know, not just postponed but canceled. So it's created an unusual scenario. I get it. You can't make everybody happy, but you would just hope that everybody sort of takes the spirit of what is going on on Monday night and carries that forward to you know what is going to happen with the playoff scenarios. Paul Feinbaum talking about the NCAA under investigation. Apparently, uh, Michigan in some trouble. Jim Harbaugh in a little bit of trouble. They're under investigation for some COVID dead period recruiting violations. Here's Paul Feinbaum talking about it. Punch it. Uh, the, I think the one thing you have to keep in mind here, if you're looking at this uh, through a very narrow lens is that the NCAA has very little power anymore. So the odds of something significant happening to Jim Harbaugh are nil. This isn't 15 years ago when Jim Trussell got fired over the Terrell Pryor situation. I, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I don't think anything, frankly, is going to happen other than maybe a minor sanction. The real issue here isn't whether Jim Harbaugh gets sanctioned. It's whether he leaves. He issued a statement yesterday that I'm still trying to understand, Greeny, saying that he expects expects to be at Michigan in 23. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't really mean anything. He didn't have to uh, issue a statement at all. Basically, he's calling more attention to himself that Detroit and Carolina and maybe others, uh, including Indianapolis, are going to look at him as an NFL head coach. I don't know, though. Is Jim Harbaugh signaling to the NCAA and Michigan that, hey, if this level one violation thing goes too far, um, I I'll just bail, like Chip Kelly bailed, like others have bailed. The NCAA has prepared a notice of allegations. That will start a 90-day window on the case. Then they'll give official notice. Fine mom's right, though, that the NCAA has lost its teeth. Arizona State did far worse. And I'm kind of wondering, by the time they render their punishment to Arizona State, if anybody who created any of the problems will be around anymore. But, you know... Basically, Michigan had too many coaches at practice sessions. It met with recruits during a COVID-19 dead period, two recruits. It watched player workouts over a video feed. Um, Harbaugh apparently misled NCAA investigators when he was asked about, about the allegations. So, I don't know. His contract allows Michigan to terminate him if the NCAA deems that he has committed a material violation of the rules so I'm gonna tie these two things together Jim Harbaugh posturing like he could go to the NFL maybe notice to Michigan hey if you're gonna terminate me I'm gonna beat you to the punch which I don't think they do or it may be a signal to the NCAA like look if you give a punishment you ain't punishing me this could take years to play out and it's part of the problem with the NCAA that, you know, there are rules, I guess, but they don't have teeth to enforce. Feinbaum's got that part right. Let's go to Sean McDermott, coach of the Buffalo Bills. He was asked about DeMar Hamlin's status. McDermott says he did a FaceTime interview or a message with, with the team. Here's McDermott. Punch it. He made... 
uh, hand signals, hand gestures, right? Of he, the thing that <laughs> makes me laugh is is he did this to the guys, you know, right away. Uh, he flexed, he flexed, uh, he flexed on them, I guess. And uh, um, he's just got some staple things that they know him for and that he does. And he made the heart heart symbol prime more than anything. Um, and then he gave him a thumbs up. So, uh, and then somewhere in the midst of of that and it was a little bit hard to hear but he as you'd imagine he said uh he said i love you boys and uh of course i think i got the guys all of this positive everybody who followed this story and cared about this story has to feel good about where it finds itself today i hope he continues in his recovery it's bigger than the football it always was bigger than the football the players matter more than the games it, you know, you, you'll never convince me otherwise. Leave it here. What's on tap next? Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, we've got a big weekend, obviously, with the NFL, some college games going on, uh, sports TV, always big. Uh, every Friday on this show, I give you kind of the TV guide. Like, my grandparents used to get the TV guide, and they would, uh, they would uh, you know, thumb through it and go, oh, Wheel of Fortune's going to be on at 8. My grandmother loved to watch Vanna White, Wheel of Fortune. Um, I'm kind of giving you, like, the TV guide for the weekend. Got a bunch of NFL games that are big. We've got, um, you know, a basketball game that uh, I'm pretty tuned into. We've got some NBA games that are going on. Uh, you, uh, we've got some things going on uh, for this uh, weekend, and we give you, we present to you, what's on tap. Now it's time for what's on tap and what's on TV at the Independent on the BFT. Well, let's start with the Saturday NFL games. 1.30 kickoff. It's a Saturday. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs go into Vegas to play the Raiders. 5.15, it's Titans-Jaguars on ESPN. Both those games on ESPN. On Sunday in the NFL, uh, let's look at the Fox lineup in the morning. Uh, the Fox games are Buccaneers at Falcons and Vikings at Bears. Those are the 10 a.m. games. On CBS, it'll be Patriots-Bills. Some implications there. Uh, on CBS, Ravens, Bengals. That that should be a big game. Obviously, uh, the potential there to mix up the playoff seedings. Uh, later in the day, uh, some super important games when it comes to the playoffs. The New York Giants will be playing at the Eagles on CBS at 125 Pacific time. Uh, that is an important game in the NFC hierarchy. If the Eagles win that game, they are the one seed. They get a bye in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals will be at San Francisco in J.J. Watt's career finale. San Francisco trying to win that game because if the Eagles slip up, the 49ers could end up as the one seed in the NFC. Uh, later in the day, uh, of course, uh, also at 125, Rams at Seahawks. Seahawks need a win there to keep their playoff hopes alive. And then at 520 on NBC, it's the Lions against the Packers. Aaron Rodgers trying to uh, squeeze into the playoffs. Um, and uh, see if he can get uh, get in there. Uh, Oregon Ducks men's basketball uh, plays tomorrow at 4 o'clock. 
I will be uh, tracking that game to see what happens uh, with Oregon and Utah. I hope you pay attention to that game as well. That one's in Salt Lake City. I almost I almost flew to Salt Lake tomorrow to see that, but I, there's too much going on in my world right now uh, for me to, to get out of that, to get to that one, I mean. Uh, which NFL game are you guys looking forward to watching? Uh, I'm looking forward to the Jags game. Titans, Jags. I got my Jags jersey on today. Uh, I, Wait a minute, a, are you a Jags fan? I mean, I'm a sort of a Jags fan. My buddy is a big Jaguars fan, and we had the NFL Sunday ticket, so he used to come over oh. back in like 2017 and make us watch Jaguar games. So I've I've <laughs> stuck through. You. Yeah, so I had to watch like two really bad seasons of Jaguar football, and then they had the one good year where they made the AFC Championship game. So now that they're okay again, I busted out the Jags jersey. So uh, I'm gonna watch that game. How about you, Peter? Yeah, uh, I don't think it's any surprise. I'm looking forward to uh, the Rams. Uh, on one hand, you get to put an end to this miserable season, but also you can play spoiler uh, to one of your rivals, so I'll be rooting for them to beat the Seahawks. There you go. Uh, so you're rooting. You don't want the Seahawks to get in there. No. Seahawks fans, yeah, you know, I think Seahawks fans uh, have to be a little bit excited about where they are, and, you know, the fact that they made out so well in that Russell Wilson trade and here they are flirting with a, tra- a playoff spot anyway without Russell Wilson. That that would kind of punctuate the trade, would it not, if the Seahawks end up in the playoffs? No, oh, without a doubt. And then having, what, the third, fourth pick in the draft? I mean, it, it was a brilliant trade. I mean, everyone expected such a down year. I mean, even if they don't get in, it's a success. But uh, getting into Wild Card Weekend would be huge. There you go. So uh, keep it up this weekend. And uh, we'll, be, uh, we'll be back on Monday with a great show and big guests all next week. And uh, as we continue to talk about the fallout from the NFL and, and heaven knows who what happens over the weekend. Um, and, and look, on the Pac-12 front, I want to s- slip something in real quick here. we got a couple minutes. Um, you know, the Pac-12 athletic directors have asked the Pac-12 to model some different schedules for them. Um, I think it's interesting. Normally the schedule for the Pac-12 football season comes out around December 15th, 16th, right in there. It was expected on the 16th. I was told it was coming on the 16th, and it didn't show up. And then I started asking athletic directors, and they, they hold the ultimate power. The ADs have to approve the schedule. So you're talking about 12 ADs, including UCLA and USC, who have to approve the schedule and say, okay, this is a fair schedule. We're all kind of good with it. Uh, they have yet to do that. Uh, John Wilner of the Bay Area News Group reporting today that, uh, you know, some some extra options are on the table. Could they be going back to divisions? I don't think so. Could they be uh, weighing an eight-game conference schedule versus nine? Maybe, but probably too soon to implement that next season, isn't it? It would it would fall, it would be, you know, it would require everybody to pick up an extra non-conference game. I don't know if everybody can do that. And I don't know if everybody wants to do that. You know, Arizona State doesn't want to do that. They're having a hard time filling their non-conference slots anyway. So there's just a little bit of a delay. I expect it any time. In fact, I think it's going to come out next week. So for people who are looking for the Pac-12 football schedule, I think next week we should see it. All right, have a great weekend, everybody. Stay tuned for Peter Sampson and the Pulse. The bald-faced truth not here for a long time, just a good time.